Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Stephen Gillespie is back with me as my co-host for tonight. And Brett Usher is our guest of honor. If you listen to part one of our 30 questions for 30 NBA teams preview for the upcoming season, then no surprise as to what's coming in tonight's episode. This is part two. Part one was covering the Eastern Conference. Part two is covering the Western Conference really quick. Before we get into our 30 questions for 30 NBA teams, part two, I do want to start off this podcast with a quick announcement, something that was Let's brought go. up on the No Ceilings NBA podcast. If you listen to the episode that came out on Wednesday morning, you will have heard the announcement or seen it on social media that we're combining all of our shows into one podcast feed this year. So you will find Draft Deeper not on this usual podcast feed. You will still find the episodes through our YouTube channel. But in terms of posted audio episodes, they're going to be on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. So if you aren't subscribed to that feed already, please make sure you do so wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can certainly find video versions of all of our shows on the YouTube channel as well. But really what we're trying to do we all came together and formed the collective called No Ceilings last year, and we've had massive success already in terms of building out a community, building a brand, interacting and engaging with more folks in the draft community than I could have ever imagined. Mm. And we want to make all of our content much easier for listeners out there to find. So we're just going to have all of our episodes under one roof. It's going to help us go get new opportunities. It's going to help our listeners definitely be much more organized as far as listening to all of our content on a daily basis. And what combining all of our shows allows us to do on one feed, we get to have a daily podcast feed. So you already Sir. do no ceilings as a daily Substack Monday through Friday during the season that will start back up. October 24th is our kickoff for year two on, on the written front. That's also going to be our kickoff on the podcast front. we're having a daily Monday through Friday podcast feed. So every single morning when you wake up, you get a no ceilings written piece and you get a no ceilings podcast in some form or fashion. And they're all of our shows coming together. So draft deeper is still draft deeper. As you know, it, the no ceilings NBA show, the two Tyler's they're going to keep doing their same thing. Corey and Albert, they're keeping the draft act rolling and Nick and, and Metcalf, they're still going to be doing their thing uh, with, with NBA deep dives. And we'll have some other content rolling in on that podcast feed as we continue to branch out and do different projects. But we're, we're all still doing our things. We all still have our own unique individual voices. And I'm really excited for, for what this is going to do for us as well as our listeners. Steven, how, how pumped are you that we're, we're, we're kicking off a brand new year with, I mean, you want to talk about daily organized content, right? Our listeners know what they're getting yeah. from us every single day. I can't think of any other draft outlet out there that does something like that. Dude, it's, it's crazy because we're, you're getting daily written work. You're getting daily audio. Like we are the no ceilings collective now, like, you know, Matt Penny shout out, you know, still good friend, love interacting with him. Called us NWO, you know, everyone started calling us an army last year and for good reason. And now like a, like a successful army, we're a unified front. Like we're arm in arm lockstep, like our powers combined. We're forming Captain Planet of NBA Draft podcast feeds, and it's going to be incredible. I'm so pumped, stoked, jacked, fired up. Like I, I'm ready to roll. 
I know that our the rest of our team is ready to roll. And I'm looking forward to everybody that has been just devout followers of Draft Deeper and the No Ceilings Collective at large, like all coming together, like all these different families are now becoming one family. And I'm just excited for the opportunities, Nathan, that you talked about, that it's going to give us to be even better and better like every year. So year two, there's so much that I want to tell you guys that like we just can't, we're not going to do it all at once, but y'all should be excited and be following No Ceilings NBA because we're, the season hasn't even started yet and we're already firing on all fronts and I love it. Brett, as a fan uh, that you are of No Ceilings, is it pretty awesome that you're going to be able to find all of our content in one place? You won't have to be subscribed to like four different podcast feeds anymore? Yeah, no, I think that's super cool. Just being able to subscribe to that one feed and getting a, you know, a new podcast every day. Like that's, that's really dope, really simplifies things. And it's, it's cool to bring it all together. Like you guys were saying, and I'm a massive fan of everything you guys are doing. I mean, it's, it's great work. It's my favorite stuff out there in the draft world. Much love, man. Uh, No, no question. So yeah, I mean, the written stuff, I really love it. I'll be reading stuff sometimes where it's like a, a, like a guy that I know I'm probably, I don't watch a ton of college basketball, but I'll even be able to read stuff where it's like a guy I'm probably not going to see play a whole lot this year and certainly have never heard of before, but it's like, y'all still get me like engaged and interested in these guys. Um, So it's, it's really cool. And then for sure, like, you know, I, so I, I say this to Nathan all the time. Like I just appreciate the work that you guys do as someone who doesn't watch a ton of college basketball, because it makes it easy for me because I pretty much just follow NBA, but at least I can sort of keep up to date with the top prospects and, and even a couple of like hidden gem kind of guys, like, like I said. Um, so that's really nice. It's a really nice uh, like luxury for, for a fan, you know, of basketball to have, because it's hard to follow everything. You know, if it you is, have a busy man. life, like it's yeah. like, I, I can, I, I really can only follow the NBA. I don't follow any other sports. I follow col- what I can in college and high school basketball, but, but it's tough, you know, when you're, you know, all the way into the NBA. So so yeah, I really appreciate it and can't wait to see everything that's in store. Awesome. Thanks, man. It's 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 an it's an honor to be able to to serve people in the community like you, Brett, who are NBA guys who don't have all the time to be watching, you know, highlights on prospect rank number 50 on our board. So but but <laughs> at the same time, what we do, we deliver meaningful content about guys who can creep all the way up boards and end up in the lottery. Like Jalen Williams was a perfect example of that last year out of Santa Clara. We were covering him. So for somebody Dalen like Brett, Terry, who is, yeah. Somebody like Brett, who was knee deep in NBA coverage, right? He already knew who Jalen Williams was by exactly. being subscribed to No Ceilings. So exactly. he knew what was coming. And now he could talk about him in full force, <laughs> the Oklahoma City Thunder. That exactly. Brett has that division tonight. So <laughs> we'll get he's got to the we'll Thunder hat him. on if you're watching the video. He yep. is psyched to talk about the Thunder. <laughs> but the last note I'll say, and, and I've cut into some of my time. I'm going to be starting off with the divisions tonight. I've cut into some of my time um, talking about this announcement, but it means a lot to me that we're able to do something like this, you know, Kevin and I, and, and, and I say Kevin and I, because Kevin's been the most integral part of when I started this draft deeper podcast feed that I always try and shout him out as much as I can. I lead into every single show intro saying that he's always joining me because he's been such an important part of getting this podcast feed off the ground. And we've, we've sacrificed a lot over the last two years to really get this show to where it is. Kevin certainly sacrificed a lot. He does a lot of things in, in his life in the background. Obviously, me putting in the time, the effort to prepare every single show, find guests, have co-hosts on. It's a lot of work. So to be able to see these two years really pan out and not only the success that we had really for the entire draft cycle last year, like all the way from December through June, this show was, I, I mean, n- near the top 
of, of basketball charts, not just in the United States, but across so many countries worldwide. That was incredible to see. So for, for this opportunity to be here and for the, the, the fruits of our labor really to be bore out in this way, I'm incredibly thankful to everybody who's continued to support us and to listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts to give us the chance to merge together. So a big thank you to Kevin and all of the work that he's done over the all last two years. Kevin. A big Shout thank out, you Kevin. to the audience and all the supporters that we have. So thank you so much. I'm excited. We will continue to share and continue to lead off every podcast episode up through certain parts of the merger to make sure you get subscribed over to the No Ceilings feed. I think we'll still post a few episodes on this feed after that October 24th date, just to make sure we get everybody over to the No Ceilings feed. But certainly by the big time tip off of the college season, we'll no longer be posting the episodes here. The audio files will be over on the No Ceilings NBA feed. So make sure you're subscribed over there. Okay, enough is enough. We, we yeah. got to get into the bean potatoes of what we came to do. This is part two. This is the Western Conference. So I have the Southwest Division. Steven has the Pacific Division. And Brett has the Northwest Division. So that's the order we're going to go in. So again, I'm not policing what order we go in as far as the questions and the teams and, and what we do. Just We'll just go division by division as we did on the last podcast. So again, I ordered my teams based on records that they actually finished in their division last year. So that means I'm starting with the Memphis Grizzlies, mm. a really, really fun dark horse team last year who made a lot of noise. And I think they're primed to still make even some more noise in the Western conference this year. My question for them, who will be the rookie slash sophomore player to step in and greatly help add depth to this rotation. So their current starters with, without injuries, right? If, if Jaron Jackson was going to be in the lineup, their starting lineup looks like Ja. Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson, and Steven Adams. I'll get to Jaron Jackson's replacement in a second. Depth behind those starters would be Tyus Jones, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, John Conchar. And then those first and second year players that we're talking about would be, and they got a squad of them, by the way. They, they, yeah. they got a deep squad of young guys. Zaire Williams, Santi Aldama, Jake Laravia, Kennedy Chandler, David Roddy, and Kenneth Lofton. So that that's a really deep group of young guys that they can go to. Now, now Santi Aldama is already stepping in the start for triple J while he recovers, but this team will need a creative wing slash guard to help fill some of the scoring and playmaking void left by the departure of DeAnthony Melton in that trade next to Jones off the bench during the regular season. So I think Zaire Williams could be on his way to a breakout sophomore year after a great summer league run. Jake Laravia was a big favorite of ours and no ceilings to the draft process last year. He's a good off-ball shooter. Um, he has that innate cutting ability. He's a really quick decision maker. As some of his passing really popped off the film at Wake Forest, that's what led a lot of us to really embrace him as a player who could come in and do some damage in the NBA. But they, they just they need somebody on in that wing spot to give them a little more juice, and it's going to have to be one of those young guys. They they could make a Jay Crowder trade. They could find somebody in the buyout market later on, but I think it's going to have to come from those young guys. So Brett, out of all those names I listed off, you, you can say Santi if you want, because he's already technically thrown into the starting lineup, but who's that one young guy that you're looking for to make an impact for Memphis? Man, I'll tell you, I didn't realize Santi could shoot it quite like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's really funny. You watched his, you watched his Loyola tape in college and he did a lot of his damage. He was always a good, a, a pretty good passer, but he did a lot yeah. of his damage in the post. 
Now you watch him in the summer league and he's like hitting all these crazy shots off the bounce. I'm not even just talking about open catch and shoot right. threes. Like he's taking guys off the dribble. It's pretty fascinating to watch. Yeah. He's, he's a fun player. I, I like him as, as, you know, as, as stepping into that starting five. Uh, I think that's a good choice for that spot to sort of, you know, hold Jaron's place. Um, but I'm going to have to go with Zaire. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm very high on him. He's certainly one of my favorite young players. I just see a ton of upside and um, you know, like, the question is like, is he ready for that kind of role? Like I see him as filling the, the Kyle Anderson void potentially mm -hmm. almost as kind of like that playmaking forward. Um, I certainly see the potential and it just remains to be seen if he's, if he's there yet. Um, but I think he is, I think he's close enough where he's going to play a, a pretty significant role on this team. Uh, no question. I think there's some three level scoring potential. I think there's a lot of defensive upside. Um, he's, he can handle the ball. I mean, he, he's a really good finisher. I, I, I like him, man. He's very athletic. I think he brings a nice dimension to this team. This is a team that likes to force turnovers, likes to get out and transition and run. I think he fits that. And I think he's a guy that they value highly just based on the way that they've seemed to prioritize his development and prioritize him getting reps. Um, so, you know, he's, he's a fascinating player. He was obviously very highly regarded uh, coming out of high school, had a questionable college season, uh, underwhelming, I guess, at, at Stanford, mm -hmm. right? You guys would obviously know better than me, but that seemed to be the, the rep on him, but he's been yeah. great ever since he's been, been at the pro level. And, uh, and I think, you know, with, with Kyle's departure and Melton's departure, like he's a guy they're really going to be counting on. So I'd probably go with him as, as the guy that's really going to step up. So Steven, it's, it's not just in the wake of those departures that Brett just talked about, but yeah. Dylan Brooks is going to be a free agent next year. And yep. Listen, the, the pockets eventually can only run so deep, right? Because Ja mm -hmm. already commands a salary. Triple J already commands a salary. Desmond Bain's going to want to get paid pretty soon. So that's a good reason why you build all this young depth is that you have options to slot in for some of these guys who eventually you, you just can't, you can't find the money to pay them. You, you have the, they have to walk, right? So maybe it's not just Zaire Williams helping this team in the short term, but really using this year to groom him for a potential starting opportunity next year. You, you, you agree with that? I think so. And I think that, you know, there's a Steven Adams contract. That's a uh, pretty sizable for his position yep. as well. And then I believe that, you know, Brandon Clark's going to be due for a payday here soon. So, you know, it's good to have a lot of good young talent and group them together. But this unfortunately is, you know, one of the good problems to have is you have to start thinking about who do you move off of? Who do you have lying in the wings? And, you know, Brett touching on, you know, Zaire's probably what we saw from him, Brandon Boston. I think that what we've learned as a scouting community is that like you have to trust some of the high school film, too, which is why a lot of us at No Ceilings were still big on Patrick Baldwin Jr., despite how he looked in, in college basketball. And you're starting to see some some pretty positive outlooks for him over at Golden State. Brandon so, Boston, I know Brad and I would have conversations back and forth about him yeah. now getting a chance with the Clippers. Yeah. 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 Uh, Jay yes. McDaniels, another one. Yeah, I was really big on Jaden McDaniels and then Jalen Johnson for Atlanta. Yeah. Like we're starting to learn that, like, it's not just collegiate output. Right. Like as a community at large, you know, you have to consider a lot of things. And one thing that I'm super proud of in my time as being like a like scouting talent is I was so big on Santi Aldama. Like every podcast I would invite people on when I was hosting my NBA show and I would scout guys. Of, I would ask them, like, what do you think about Santi Aldama? And I'm not going to drop names, but there were a lot of people that were like, I, I don't know. I haven't really like seen a whole lot of them. Like Nathan was one of the only people that I talked to whenever I did it, who had at least heard the name 
but he wasn't like a priority guy. But, you know, I was I, I probably found him by chance because my my uh, scouting sophistication has changed over time. And I just looked at numbers and he put up monster numbers in college. Listen, man, right? pa- Patriot League prospects are never going to be on the top of everybody's watch list. Correct. I, I hate to say it. So <laughs> and, and that's what I'm saying. By chance, I just so happened to stumble upon him. But I'm so glad that I did because it was just like he was so dominant and one of the highest scorers in college basketball one of the most efficient scorers. And what we're seeing in, in, in Memphis is what, a lot of the reason why I liked him is because of the problem that he can pose. And if you pair him on a super athletic team with good slashers, a couple of really good shooters and a high-level defensive team, he can look the way that he does in the early going now. So I'm going to be a little bit biased. And I think that Santiago Dama is more important because he's he's serving on a more pivotal role right now. Like what we're seeing with Zaire, that might be the question that we're asking next season. You know what I mean? But for Santi, he's getting meaningful playing time. Jaron Jackson Jr. always seems to be in the injury mix, right? So shoring up that front court and giving Memphis some depth in that aspect, I think, is is more important in the immediate. So I'm going to say Santi Aldama. And and it's important to have guys like 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 Santi Aldama and Jake Laravia who can, you know, come over and help from the weak side. They can cover a lot of ground, right? Because Steven yeah. Adams is going to be playing that drop coverage exclusively in pick and roll. He's not going to be switching anything. So you need guys around him who can cover a lot of ground outside of the paint. Santi Aldama, I wouldn't say he's he's the perfect switchable forward, but I think he can hold his own on the defensive yeah. end. And we know that Jake Laravia can as well. So they they have a really good group of forwards there who can provide them both offensive and defensive value in the short term while triple J is coming back from that injury. So I'll be curious to watch that with Memphis all year long. Second place team of the division last year, Dallas Mavericks, mm. AKA the, the, the Luca long shots, right? The, the Luca, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the Luca Doncic show. We're going to see how far that man can take him, but my question's not about Luke, although we did talk about him on part one. Could that man actually average a triple-double and get himself the MVP conversation? My question is, is Jane Hardy capable of starting for the Mavericks at some point this season? That, that to me, first preseason game for Oklahoma City, 21 points, 8 for 16 shooting, 4 of 9 from three-point range in 24 minutes. You saw all the clips flying on social media after that performance. Second game, Came down a little bit, right? Six points, three rebounds, two assists. He was only two of 10 from the field. One of five from three-point range in 20 minutes. Very similar to Jay Nivey having that second game struggle when he was playing for the Pistons. You saw that with Jaden Hardy. But that first game, clear ups and downs, but you really break down what he did in that first game. Potency as a shooter and scorer, um, as he was billed to be coming out of the G League Ignite, right? Yeah. Um, Hardaway and Hardaway Jr. and Bullock are the guys in front of him with Dinwiddie as as their sixth man slash potential closing lineup guard next to Luca in the bigger games. But if there's an injury to any one of those guys, or any one of those guys goes through a legitimate cold spell, well, they where they have to turn to somebody else on the bench and be like, listen. Reggie Bullock, 0 for 6 from 3 in this game. Or Tim Hardaway Jr. just can't get it going. Or either one of them's being cooked um, on the opposite end of the floor. Not that Jane Hardy, as, as a rookie, is going to provide a lot there. But just him coming in off the bench, getting an opportunity, maybe that's the sort of spark that they can use in their favor. But injuries or shooting slumps, Jane Hardy is the next guy that the Mavs really have to turn to out of all the other options that are on the team. So if he's able to show some passing flashes and run some secondary pick and roll, he could at least threaten to take some minutes away from the others in front of him on the depth chart. But 
again, th- there's a real chance he steps in and plays an important secondary role next to Luca for at least some games during the regular season. And if he does it in the regular season and he does it well enough, will Jason Kidd look to him for a, a postseason role? Maybe he does become one of those guys who sneaks his way into the, into a playoff rotation. It's, it's really not out of the question. When you watched what Jane Hardy did in summer league and what he's shown he can do in the preseason. I mean, Steven, we, we talked about Jane Hardy enough in those ceilings last year. Yep. We all, we all never really wanted in the to best of ways. Yeah, we never wanted to get off the bandwagon. Right. So no. being one of those guys, Steven, you, you always wanted to go to bat for him in certain respects. Is my question out of bounds? Or do you think that Jane Hardy could actually do some legitimate damage on the Dallas Mavericks this year? Well, listen, man, like there was even talks that he will be the starter already in the early going of the season, right? So, I mean, I think Jason Kidd has an affinity for guards like him because as far as builds go, he's not that far off of what a young Jason Kidd was doing. Uh, I think that he brings a lot of potential as a three-level scorer. And one thing that one of the like best player prototypes that succeed in the NBA did this on an earlier article in the year that I put out on No Ceilings NBA was the most successful player types is an off-ball guard, right? And that's what that's what Hardy gives this team is Luca creating. He's going to have the ball in his hand a lot, a lot of, you know, mid-2000s, you know, Houston Rockets, James Harden action going on over in Dallas right now. And he has to have viable threats that can create for themselves on the opposite end of the court. And that's what Hardy gives. Bullock isn't necessarily the the best creator and he's getting older right like he can only hold up so much on both sides of the ball he's kind of defying you know father time in some aspects for the role that he's been given in the NBA and then Tim Hardaway Jr. is not necessarily the 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 Iron Man in the NBA right so there is going to be opportunity in an 82 game season for Hardy to step up and prove his worth and he's hungry he feels slighted he was supposed to be a first round talent got picked up in the second round He's playing next to an MVP. He's playing next to a coach that's going to empower him. He's going to have all the the opportunity in the world on this Dallas Maverick team that is going to be looking for another viable offensive threat with the departure of Brunson and the departure of, you know, other scoring talent. You know, Chris Hopsporzing and say what you will. He's still an offensive threat. So, yeah, Hardy is going to get opportunity to start, and he might make it undeniable to rem- – or to – you know, remove him from that spot. Like he'll, he should be a mainstay in this Dallas rotation and be a starter. By the way, I said about Spencer Dinwiddie being their, their sixth man. That's, that's technically Christian Wood. I just yeah. don't, I don't know how long Christian Wood's going to stay on the bench for them. Like, I think at some point he's just going to be their, their starting big man and they're going to go that direction. He's that's, playing too good. That that's, that's my personal opinion, but Brett, what, what are some of the things that you've already seen from, from Jane Hardy, any observations that you've picked up? Yeah, I mean, Steven went over a lot of it there, but I'll say that I saw him. It was actually the first game I attended at this past summer league. I think they were playing the Bulls. It was on the opening weekend, and I was sitting a few rows back behind the basket they were shooting on in the first half. And if you remember, he had quite a game. I forget what numbers he he put up, but I was blown away seeing him in person, just seeing the way that he was competing. Um, Yeah. And the way that he was attacking the rim, even, the way he was putting it on the floor. I mean, he was doing some things that – he doesn't really have a reputation for at least like in the general opinion of doing, and I'm like, okay, he, he can do more than I thought um, just in terms of kind of attacking and just, you know, just, just playing really hard. So I don't know. I liked him right away. And, and then obviously the shooting 
Um, and yeah, I definitely think he's going to get minutes this year. He's looked great. He offers them, like you said, Steven, certainly more juice than Reggie Bullock as an offensive player. Um, and, uh, and the thing with him is like, he's been playing against good competition, you know, like he was Mm -hmm. playing against tougher comp last year and then you can get into the whole discussion about, did that hurt his draft stock? But while it may have hurt his draft stock, you know, the way he was perceived in, you know, in that context, I think it may have better prepared him for the NBA because he yep. was playing with and against NBA players. So he comes into the NBA. He he has a sort of a different dimension of readiness um, than a lot of these other incoming rookies, even though he is super young. But he's another guy that was, what, the top five, six, it was being talked about coming out of high school. So some, like that. some of us had no ceilings had him number one preseason. Yeah, so. Corey, he was up there. Corey and Albert were, no, they yeah. were high on him. They had a hard on for Hardy is what they said. <laughs> I mean, right, rightfully so though, man, he's, he's an awesome player. I mean, his shooting range is, I remember being blown away by it because probably some of the stuff I was seeing and reading from you guys, just his, just the sheer range from where he was pulling up in high school. Um, so I'm a big fan. I think he's, if I had to pick one kid to be the steal of the draft, I'm going with him. I, I don't know how he was a second round pick watching him now. It's just crazy. So I think he'll get minutes. Like you said, maybe it'll take an injury. Like if Tim Hardaway, um, were to go down, like, I think Hardy would be the guy that they look to because he can sort of replicate that. And they'll be counting on Tim Hardaway for that kind of stuff, that yeah, kind sure. of creation and off ball stuff and shooting, but yeah, he's injury prone and he's also not the most consistent guy. So I think they could look to to Hardy and I don't think Jason Kidd is the type of coach that's like, you know, above going with a rookie if he thinks that's the best option. So I, and I'm excited to see that they're going to be a fun team. I, uh, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm higher on them. I think than than most for, for a number of reasons. And the wood thing is, I know he's going to be playing starters minutes, you know, whether or not exactly. he enters that starting lineup. Cause you know, JaVale McGee's like a 17, 18 minute a, a game yeah. guy. He's getting older. He's got asthma. He's never been a high minute guy. So we're going to see whether or not wood comes off the bench. Ultimately he's going to be playing starters minutes. And that's a really fun fit next to Luca. They, they have a, a good solid unit of eight guys, right. Including Luca who they will rely on, but we, we talked about it enough yesterday and we'll, we'll keep talking about it tonight too, that during the regular season, you need a few bodies past the, those eight guys that you're probably looking at for a playoff rotation. So Jaden Hardy would be my candidate in Dallas. Speaking of young depth, the new Orleans Pelicans are next on the mm. list. This, this, this is my, this is my ode to Chuck. Chuck, this is for you. Shout out to Chuck at Chuck. Shout out Chuck. If you haven't listened to his Trey Murphy interview episode, please go Amazing. ahead and check that out on his podcast feed. But my question for the Pelicans involves that young man. Can Trey Murphy take a leap forward as the team's sixth man and carry the bench unit offense? So last year per 36 minutes, 13.9 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, uh, 39% from the field. That wasn't great, but he did shoot 38% from three-point range. 88% from the free throw line. We knew that this man was a shooter coming in 120 offensive rating, 55.8 your shooting percentage physically at summer league. And, and, and Brett, I'll go to you first on this question, but like this man at summer league, he, he looked like a different player physically. Like this man looks like he, he took the weight training in the off season incredibly seriously. And he's, he's ready to not just hold his own on the wing. He looks like he's ready to compete and play some minutes at the four and really bad for some rebounds in the glass, contest shots at the rim. He looks like he's ready to play NBA defense. So you factor in some of the shooting that I outlined already. We talk about how he looks physically. From a role perspective, last year he shot 46.6% on corner threes for the team. So he already has 
a defined role, but if his passing and his interior finishing take a leap, I mean, he can use the other parts of his game that he's known for to his advantage to better set up along with those things, his mid-range opportunities, which is something I don't think we've seen enough of. Those were things that he did in the G League. Those were things Mm -hmm. that we saw some of those turnaround shots at Virginia and college. We need to see more of that in the NBA. We also need to see some opportunities for him to get downhill, get two feet in the paint because he has some touch in some of those floaters that we're looking for in some of these wings, right? Be a threat, two feet in the paint. So if he takes a sizable leap as a scorer, the Pelicans should have five legitimate offensive weapons on the roster. And then you have Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, and Jackson Hayes serving different purposes defensively around them. And then Dyson Daniels is the rookie who could come in. And because of what he's Larry Nance for, being, Jr. being yes. so versatile as he is, Larry Nance, they can go 10, 11 bodies deep. But just the offense, the potent offense, we know who the big three are, right? But if Trey Murphy's a dude, Brett, like this Pelicans team, yeah. I'm sorry, they could go to the finals. I, 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 they, they could legitimately go to the NBA finals. So, what, yeah. where are you at on Trey Murphy, and what do you see for this Pelicans team? Love him. I mean, I'll say this: like he, he may not be the primary reason I'm as high as I am on the Pelicans this season, but he's a significant part of that. He certainly factors in in a big way to, to like my positive outlook, my very optimistic projection of this team. Um, he's awesome, man. Like I, I saw him for the first time uh, last summer league. Summer League 2021 up close. I remember he was another guy blown away. One of the mo- most impressive players I saw there was a lot more athletic than I realized, like especially getting off the ground, getting up for dunks. Like he he does it pretty effortlessly. And good. He's a, he's, a, he's a good leaper off too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't, I, he's not super athletic overall, but yeah, it's like a two foot leaper. That's what really jumped out to me. Um, And, and trigger Trey, man, the shot. He's mm. glad you brought up the corner three point shooting. Like that's a, that's a pretty uh, a stellar number. And, uh, and even his free throw shooting was something crazy right like eight, 88% from the line yeah that yeah, speaks to the kind of shooter that that he is and he does have legitimate power forward size like I think he's listed at six eight he if somebody told me he was six ten I wouldn't bat an eye wouldn't uh, doubt it <laughs> no not at all he looks he looks big and uh and and he's he's filled out a little bit uh he I think he had 27 the other night just raining threes it was all like threes and dunks and that's super important I think this you know this Pelicans team is going to value shooting more than ever now that Zion is back like you Mm -hmm. we can already see it in the preseason what happens when these teams try to sort of wall off Zion when he's just going toward the rim and if that wall's there he's he's more than capable of kicking it out and finding MVP candidate Zion Williams man like I asked the other day on Twitter could he average five assists a game like I think that's that's in play like he's yeah yeah for sure and um and so yeah I think I think Trey in his ability to shoot is going to be super important for that team and I could see him as their sixth man because Larry Nance is going to be the other probably most prominent guy off the bench, but he's another guy where you probably don't want him playing high minutes. He's a guy that has had an injury history. Uh, I could see them leaning more on, on Trey, especially because of the shooting. Um, but man, this team is like, I think I tweeted about it the other day, but like they, they're so much different than the last Pelicans team that Zion played with, you know, mm-hmm. back in 2021. If you think about the, the guys that they've added since then, Valanchunas and CJ McCollum and, Herb Jones and Larry Nance and Trey Murphy and, and Jose and Dyson Daniels, obviously so much like, talent. You can go down the list, a new coach and Willie green, a whole new culture, mm-hmm. a new identity. Like this is a completely different team. And if you think about the kind of season Zion had in 2021 um, and then you, you, you know, if he can be that guy, but with this supporting cast, like 
I mean, Ingram's gotten better. Like, I, I can see why so many people are so high on this team. Like, they're definitely, like, the, the preseason darling. They're kind of everybody's, like, uh, projected ascending team, partially by how they played last year toward the end of the season against Phoenix in the playoffs and then having Zion come back and just just the positive vibes around that team. They're, they're really uh, moving in a good direction. So um, if you told me they were going to finish third in the West, like, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Like, as long as, as Zion can stay healthy, I think the sky's the limit. So I've already come out and said, Stephen, the Pelicans could go to the finals. I've already said that Zion Williamson could be an MVP candidate. You ready for even more hyperbole to be dumped oh, on you? Let's here, go. Here we go. You let's ready go. for this? If Zion keeps playing defense like he's showing that he can in the preseason, Brandon Ingram gets back to the defensive form that we know he's capable of being. We know Herb Jones is flying around everywhere out there. And then if Trey Murphy takes a step forward with his physicality, being able to play that four spot, and defend the, that that GT combination. Listen, yeah. man, the Pelicans could have the new death lineup in the NBA with CJ Ingram, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, Zion at the five. Could be the new death lineup. What do you think? I think it could be even more fun. I think that Dyson Daniels is looking so daggum good. You could have a Dyson, Herb, Ingram, Zion, TM3 lineup. Now, how scary would that be? How scary yeah. would that be? That, and, and, and to your point, like you threw out Jose Alvarado's name, like you can, you can make an all defensive lineup with this team. Yeah. As well. Like let, let's say you, you have like a 10, 12 point lead. You got to give some of the starters some rest and you just want to be able to lock it down and, and keep the game within that eight to 12 points that you left the lead at. You can throw out a whole lineup of just defensive aces to just give the starters some rest and then bring them back in and be like, all right, now we're going to try to blow the doors back open again. Like the lineup versatility is awesome. It's crazy. It's so like tantalizing, man. Just the different lineups they can go with, especially of the small ball variety. When you think about maybe putting Zion at center or Larry Nance at center or Trey at the four, or, like Dyson at the one, like you've got so much size that you can just kind of mix and match. And like, you know, you just, hopefully they figure out what works early in the season. And, and, but, but that death lineup, I like the sound of that for sure. Um, I think that's a that's a real possibility. And yeah, Zion's defense would probably be the key to it. Yeah, um, he'd have to be able to hold up on there. But but yeah, man, that would be a very, very tough lineup to stop. So I got to I'll, I'll I'll answer the or I'll answer the question about TM3 being the sixth man. This is interesting to me because Herb Jones blew up last season because he's like the playmaker that's improving as a shooter. Right. And he's a defensive minded guy. I'm almost curious with uh, putting Zion back in the lineup, like how that actually works for Herb Jones. I'm actually a little nervous to see how those two. He's working play. on that shot. He has been I know working he is. on that shot all summer, and I think he's ready to, to take some more corner threes, and I think he's ready to knock them down. I, I sure hope so, because I don't think it would be the end of the world if you have the luxury of bringing in Zion and you want to kind of split load between him and Herb, and then you just put TM3 in the lineup because he has a more complimentary that we already know about. Like, it's not theoretical. We know that TM3 is extremely complimentary to a player like Zion, and then you can bring in just a dog and a playmaker off the bench and Herb Jones. So yep. I, I know that that's almost sacrilege to everybody who watches Pelicans because everyone loves Herb Jones, myself included. I love them a lot. I'm just worried about, you know, that the ball is going to be in Zion's hand. How does that affect what we see in the growth and development of a Herb Jones? It's the only slight concern that I have, but even then I don't think that it's crazy. Like I believe in Willie green. I believe in Zion. I believe in Herb. 
I think that it's going to work out, but I think that's just, just going to be something inter- interesting to monitor in the early going. We could do a three-hour podcast on just the New Orleans Pelicans. And yeah. Maybe at some point we? we end up doing that podcast <laughs> later this year. Who knows? Okay. But we'll, we'll move on. So we, we've talked about the more competitive teams in this division. Now it's, it's Tankathon City with these two that we have next. Yeah. So San Antonio Spurs will likely finish last in the division. At least I, I, that's where I would pick them to be. My question who will be available on the trade block to help further the tanking agenda for San Antonio know. Spurs? So I already know the team lacks a clear vision to compete in the short term, especially after the Dejounte Murray trade. So it makes sense to get back draft compensation and some financial flexibility for players who may not fit that tanking timeline. So Kelvin Johnson seems to be a mainstay for the franchise and a relatively mm-hmm. young building block after his role with Team USA. Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Josh Primo, and then this year's picks of Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham, and Jeremy Sohan are also primed for opportunities this year. So those, those are the young guys you think are probably going to stick around. That leaves Jakob Pertl, that leaves Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson, are all vets who could potentially be moved for a decent price to contenders. And also, possible. it's also true that possible deals for any of those three don't bring back what the Spurs want. And they end up putting Keldon Johnson on the block to accelerate a tank job for the top pick and get back assets while Johnson could be putting up numbers to suggest a high enough two-way peak. So either they get what they want with the veterans or they say, this isn't enough. Let's see what we could get for the other big fish in the pond in Keldon Johnson while, while the iron strikes hot. So Steven... On a scale of one to 10, I guess, would be the, the, the follow-up question asked, like, how tanktastic is this season going to be for the Spurs? Oh, what's the, is one, like, so one, 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 one being it's, it's not going to be an absolute shit show. 10 being, all right, this is full-on blast. Like, oh, we're, we're 10. Is there an 11? Yeah. Can I say, can I say 15? <laughs> like, man, to, there's so much that to unpack in all of that, Nathan. Uh, first off, I think that the player that you look to shop first, I know the guy that you're that you're thinking of, and I saw that you posted it on Twitter not too long ago, but I think a lot of teams need a big. I think there's a lot of contenders that need a big, and Yaka Pertle has a manageable contract for teams to bring in. I could easily see him giving getting two first-round draft picks in, in this year's or in this year and potentially follow on your uh, drafts. I think that he could command uh, two first round picks and just Listen, uh, salary match. I'll, I'll stop you right there. Just really quickly. We talked about last night. Who was the team last night that we said could really use a big man? Who was the team in the East last night? It was Brooklyn. Like yeah. Brooklyn. Needed, if I'm Brooklyn, Brooklyn like big... I'm getting on the phone and calling them about Jakob yeah. Pertle hundred percent. He's Jakob Pertle's one of the better defensive centers in the NBA. Like oh, yeah. I get all the offensive limitations, yep. But if you already have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you just need a big body who can go out there and battle some of those beasts. He'd be he'd be perfect for them. Yeah, yep. he he's exactly what they need. His offense comes on his own effort. Uh, you don't have to write it up. He's going to set good screens. He's going to roll to the basket. He's an intelligible playmaker for his position. He's mm-hmm. not Demontis Sabonis or or Nikola Jokic or anything like that. But he definitely knows how to move the ball and find the open man. And defensively, he's going to get there. He's going to rebound on this team, and he. And he could he could help with the pace. He can help with the half court. And there's a number of teams that need big man playmaking. Like if I'm the Boston Celtics, I might try to do something yep. with this guy with the injuries that that they've sustained. You know, rap the Raptors have been 
uh, in the mix to try to get him, you know, or, or for the Phoenix Suns we, try we, to we trade about, Jay Crowder for him. We talked about the Miami Heat, right? Like they weren't able yep. to make the big swing in the offseason. Could that be like a, a semi-big swing for them to just get a little bit more trusted size on the interior if they don't want to go with playing your seven big minutes? Yeah, I mean, again, there, there are a number of teams that need a serviceable big man. I think that he could get them even more draft picks. Having him makes your team more competitive. I understand that the odds are flattened to like 14% of pop. So having the number, having the worst record doesn't necessarily mean as much as what it used to. But I mean, getting rid of Pirtle wouldn't hurt their chances of trying to, you know, be on that 10 scale of uh, tanktastic teams. Right. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not an exact, I don't need an exact answer from you, but like in, in your estimation, if Kelvin Johnson was on the trade block, like what, what's like the ballpark of what you think he's worth? Uh, I mean, you look at what they got for DeJounte was, I think, did they get three first rounders There's for three DeJounte? Three first round picks, yep. Probably two first rounders. I, would, I don't know. I mean, I don't, it's, it's interesting. I, Keldon's one of those guys, like, not to get sidetracked on this topic, but something I've thought about with him is like gauging his ceiling is difficult for me. Like, what is his best version in the NBA and how much better is it than what he was last year? I mean, he's a young guy. He definitely has a lot of upside, certainly untapped but like you know do do we really see like a future all-star with him or is he just maybe a notch below that um that's where yeah I, I mean I think you get at least a couple of firsts um for him which I don't know if that's worth it for them to move him um I you know I think they probably they just signed him I think they value him quite a bit mm-hmm. I, I think he's I think he's there for the long haul I think they consider him part of their young core he's I think pop guy. Spurs the Spurs value guys that have been in their system, you know, mm-hmm. for a while, they value that continuity. He's a pop guy. So I, yeah, I, I think they could get a pretty nice haul for him for sure. Probably just like a notch below what they got for Murray, but I don't know that they're quite in that. I think they can tank successfully with him there. Yeah. The, um, the fresh extension would technically muddy, muddy it up a little bit. There's yeah, for a while on that stuff. Exactly. But yeah. Um, but yeah, Pirtle, uh would, so yeah, there's a few guys, there's a few directions you could go to answer your question. Doug McDermott's the guy I would like to get rid of if I were them. Um, just because like, what is, you know, he doesn't really fit their timeline to say, to put it lightly. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's in his thirties now. He's, I, that was a pretty wild contract that they signed him to. I think they gave him three years, 41 million. And that's not, I was thinking that was expiring this year, but he's still under contract next season too. So he might be a guy where, you know, he might play out this year with them. Um, I don't know how much he's actually going to see the floor, but uh, he might be a guy they look to move next year when his contract's expiring. Uh, Pirtle is the guy where if you're looking to get a first round pick or maybe two, like you said, Steven, then that would be the guy to move. I think that would be the guy that they're willing to part with that could bring back the most. Um, he's going to bring back more than Doug McDermott, obviously. Uh, he'd bring back quite a bit. So I, I'm I'm with Steven on that. I think that's a guy they should absolutely look to. Yep. The move teams want him. A lot of teams need him and he'll get you at least a first round pick and a young player, maybe a couple first rounders would be the high end. I think of his value, but, uh, and then the other guy, the kind of natural choice to move on from that would probably be pretty easy to trade. That doesn't fit in with them. That kind of, um, is redundant with their young guys. They want to develop is Josh Richardson. Uh, he's on, he's being paid 12 million this year. Can, can you move him? Like if, it's an expiring if, contract. Um, a lot of teams tried it, man. A lot of teams yeah. have tried the Josh Richardson move. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that would be the natural choice to move. Yeah. I don't know how easy it would be. Um, those would be the three guys, but I think Pirtle just between like 
you're trying to tank. He's he legitimately makes you a better team. Um, he's not quite on the timeline as some of their young guys. He's not old, but he's older. He's probably, you know, 28 or something now. Um, and, and I think you could get some nice assets back for him. And that's what they're looking to do. They're not, they're not looking to win. Um, and you know, when you have Victor Wembanyama, who needs Jakob Hurdle? So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you, man, like t- 10, 11, if possible on the, on the tank yeah. scale, they're going to be one of the tankiest teams in recent memory for sure but they're going to be kind of a fun tank team like they've got enough interesting young guys primo primo is is super fun Vassell, i think could break out like all these guys brett if if, if the over if the over under for spurs games watch is at at five i'm taking the under for myself personally so oh man i'm going way over i I mean i'm a big sohan guy uh i love johan's hair color is going to change way more i'm going to check out a few games just for sohan i will if i get a league pass alert that malachi brandon checked into the game and is all of a sudden going off like i'll 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 flip what about blake what about point blake wesley man like he's yeah (laughs) now i'm the only person at no ceilings who wanted to stand up for that man and then he turned it on at summer league and i'm looking around the room like yeah. oh you got now you guys want to talk about blake wesley but yeah, killing uh, hayes just dropped like a 20 point yeah, 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 yeah settle yeah. down steven we're, we're not we're not talking about killing fantastic but, but they're fun i think this i really think Vassell could break out i think uh i think keldon is keldon is fun i think zach the zach collins uh resurgence is is fun to watch like he's still a really nice player where he's a guy that maybe they could keep around kind of long-term as like, and he could certainly, if they were to move on from Pirtle, step in and, and fill in just fine at center. He's If he's healthy, he's a really nice player. He's still pretty damn young too. I think he's maybe 24, um, but they're tanky as, as hell. No no doubt about it. <laughs> so an, a, another team who's technically tanktastic, the last team in my division, the Houston Rockets, you want to talk about fun teams. I, I any number you want to set for Rockets games watched by me this year, I'll I'll take the over on on everything. I'm going to watch so much Houston Rockets basketball. I love it. But my question for the Rockets, Stephen, I've been trying to alternate these questions the best that I can. I don't even I, care what your question is. There's only one person I'm going to talk about. I'm just going to put it in there. So I I know. So that's that's exactly why <laughs> I'm going to go to you second because that very same player is going to elicit those same feelings from Brett. And I want to get the guest opinion first. So my my Please. question: Who is the third best Houston Rocket? Who is the best, oh. the third best Houston Rocket? So Jalen Green and Jabari Smith are the two franchise building blocks for the future, and they're surrounded by a pretty talented young group and some vets with games still left in the tank. Eric Gordon, Derek Favors, and Jay Sean Tate are the vets who would have their hat in the ring for the team's third best slot, with Gordon and Tate competing for it quite literally within the starting lineup. We don't know who's going to start three yet for the team. Kevin Porter Jr., Alperin Shengun, and Josh Christopher all could be in line to make leaps of their own this year with the help of Green's continued development and Smith's arrival. Tari Eason, however, has been arguably the team's most productive summer league player, or was the team's most productive summer league player, and is once again showing high efficiency on a lower minute count slash non-starter role in preseason just as he did at LSU. First preseason game against San Antonio, 21 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, three stocks, nine for 13 shooting, one for two from three in 21 minutes. Second preseason game, 24 points, eight rebounds, one assist, two steals on eight for 15 shooting, two of four from three-point range in 25 minutes. Third preseason game versus Miami, 17 points, 10 rebounds, one steal on eight for 11 shooting, one for three for three-point range 
in 28 minutes. Easton's been incredibly efficient from the field for a rookie in his first three preseason games, has remained a presence on the boards defensively as a whole, and his size, length, athleticism give the Rockets a player they don't have anywhere else on the roster, really outside of Jabari Smith. So, listen, we, we know all about Kevin Porter Jr., we know all about Operan Shangoon and Josh Christopher. I'm fans of all three of those guys. Steven, I don't care. I will not say that I was low on Tari Eason during the draft cycle because I still had him at 17 on my board. That is not low. That's a top 20 prospect. I don't care what the <laughs> naysayers say, but to play into what the naysayers could say about my draft record, I wrote multiple columns in the offseason and one of them I went all the way to calling Tari Eason as one of my regrets in my draft deeper misses column I already wrote about him I already walked some stuff back so I don't want to hear any more Nate you were too low on Tari Eason I don't want to hear it I already walked I never told you that I already walked it back so there's a lot of names Brett that could be in play for who is the third best Houston rocket. I think a lot of rockets fans would say Kevin Porter jr. Right now, but I mean, I know, I know you're a big Tari Eason guy, so go ahead, sing his praises. G- give us your answer to the question. Oh yeah, man. I love Tari for sure. Um, the t-shirt I'm actually wearing right now is from a basketball tournament in Portland that he was at. I didn't know about him. He wasn't playing. I think he was either. I think he would have been a sophomore at Garfield, but uh, Kevin Porter Jr. was also at that tournament. So big Northwest vibes with the t-shirt. KPJ is, is the guy I'm going to say as far okay. as, and I think third is conservative for him. Like, I think he could be like, if we're talking right now, I don't know. He might be as So you good think as... he's above Jabari? They're hard to compare, you know, but as far as I think Jalen and KPJ right now is more of a debate than anybody would admit in my mind, at least like, I, I think Kevin Porter jr. Is on the verge of a pretty big breakout. Like I think he's shown tremendous growth as a playmaker pick and rolls, you know, just, not picking up his dribble. A lot of the things that he was getting killed for in his first season ever as a point guard, um, he, by the end of the season, had shown a lot of growth in those areas. And now, you know, I know it is just preseason, but now he looks like a very good point guard. And I think he's going to just keep getting better in that regard. I mean, he's he's such a special ball handler. He just has this rhythm to his game that, you know, you don't see very often. Um, he's a special player, man. I think... I, he's kind of got a bad reputation. I mean, I know there's been some some off the court stuff, but I think that's kind of factored into how people see him as a basketball player. So I think when he's on the court, man, like I don't, he looks like a different player to me. And he's it's, still it, it, twenty two. It's the consistency thing, and right. he's he has to do it in games that yeah. aren't you know late March, early April when teams yeah. aren't really trying for to win sure. anymore, anyways. So he for sure. like, he has a lot to prove for sure. Yes. Like he, he does. And, and you're absolutely right about the consistency. I'm anticipating. We see that this season. I hope um, so. I'm not going to flat out say he's their best player, but I think he could be like, but, but, but I'll, he's in the top three. He's the third. It's hard for me to compare any of those guys. You know what I mean? Like, I think Jalen's going to lead them in scoring. Um, I think Jabari is going to be, I guess probably their best defensive player, maybe their most impactful um, by the end of the season, I think. Um, but, you know, 
KPJ is going to be like their their floor general or their equivalent of that. And uh, he's going to have a lot of responsibility as a playmaker. And I think he's going to going to really live up to it. So I'm super high on him. And, and Tari, man, like he was a guy that, you know, I probably found out about initially through you guys. He's probably there's I could go on a really long list about all the guys <laughs> you guys have put me on to at no ceilings. Um, but he's certainly one of them, you know, and uh, but man, as I, I tuned in and, and really he's a guy that I watched a lot of before the draft and I was very high on him. I wanted Portland to take him at seven um you know but that would have been sick but he got he's been unbelievable I think I saw he's averaging 7.7 offensive rebounds per 36 in preseason no it's it's absolutely insane man like he's he's such a such a great player to have like he's if you're trying to win championships down the road he is the type of player that you want you know one of those guys that you don't have to run plays for just has a nose for the ball like all these cliches but like he really there aren't a lot of guys that have that nose for the ball like the way that that he does. Um, so yeah, I can't say enough good things about him. He's going to be part of things for a long time there. Um, I don't know, you know, what, quite what his, his ceiling is. I mean, I think it's pretty high. Um, you know, I don't, I think he's more than just a a good role player for sure. My, my comp for him that, that I think he's, he's, he's broken out of this comp at this point was I thought he was a more athletic James Johnson and, and the, his game reminded me of what James Johnson's game was. And when you compared their statistical profiles in college, they were both two-year guys and their second years were eerily similar to each other, like all the way down to those steal and block percentages that we praised Tari for. That was the type of role player that forward that I thought Tari Eason could be just a more athletic version of that. Now with what we're seeing, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the ceiling is, Brett. I, I, I really don't. Uh, he's going to be, He's going to be a really good NBA player for a while. And Steven, go ahead. The floor is yours. Just to come on, have the dance party, get the music going in the background. Like, do what you got to do, man. You know, um, I I let my emotions get the best of me um, because, (laughs) listen, there there may not be very many people other than Tar Eason's mom that love Tar Eason the way that I do, right? Like, uh, jokes aside, I know that Chuck, you know, we shouted him out earlier. Uh, he was a big reason why I tuned in and quickly fell in love with him, too. So, again, Chuck, you you are the man. Um, we were both high on him. But if I'm putting my my heart and my feelings to the side and I'm saying third best player, I, I mean, I, I'm with Brett. I think that KPJ is in that conversation. I think that the, the dynamic duo that they have with – you know, with their guards is just insane, you know, and KPJ is a big reason for that. I thought that he was going to be a most improved candidate last season. That might be now, like it could be this season. It could have just been a year delayed and that wasn't the roster for a most improved player to be on really last year. But if you look at now uh, a plus off season, they drafted Jabari Smith jr. Who was my, who was my number one coming into the draft. They drafted Tari Eason, who I, I love thoroughly throughout the draft. They got, the people to help that defense look a little bit more solid. They do have the post playmaking without Brent Shangun. You know, they, they have a lovability and a likability and a dog mentality to their team now. And I think that KPJ is prime to make that most improved player jump this year. And I think that it is because of his playmaking and his scoring. I mean, look, Jalen is going to draw a lot of attention because he just floats. I think he's a player that has to try harder to stay on the ground than he does to jump. And I think with his athleticism, 
if he buys in defensively with the rest of these young guys on the team, he can be a scary two-way guy. Jabari Smith Jr., he's going to take – he's not going to pop in the immediacy that we're seeing Tari Eason because Tari, in my opinion, was, like, ready to do so much of the dirty work coming in. Jabari is growing into the role that he is going to be long-term. I think that he could be their best player, which is a scary proposition. But right now, I think that it's KPJ. Yeah, I see it as like, yeah, I think I think Jabari will I think Jabari's gonna have a nice rookie year, probably better than a lot of people are expecting, even like more productive, more impactful, and all that. Um, and yeah, down the road, man, the sky's the limit for that kid for sure. But yeah, right now, like I mean, Jalen's like the guy, like that's who they mm-hmm. drafted him to be, that's who they want him to be. That's the type of guy he oh, is. He's, he has, he's the guy. No question, he he's is the guy. The guy. Yep. He's the guy, but like in a sense, it's almost like I see him as the 1A and KPJ as more of a 1B than like a number two. Not just talking about the scoring options, but just like overall value. Like I, I do like to think of them as like this, the dynamic duo, like you said, like they're, they're, I, I just think he doesn't get talked enough talked about enough when people are talking about their their core and their future like there are people that just won't even mention kpj sometimes they're like oh we need a real point guard i'm like i don't know like let's give this another season because i i like what i've seen and um yeah i'm, I'm a big believer in him for sure so the, that is the answer to the question the answer is that the the big three of, of kevin porter jr jalen green and jabari smith i do feel that those are the three best players on the team I laid out the Tari Eason case. I'm, I'm a little disappointed nobody took the cheese on that one, but you, we, we are all smart cookies on, on this NBA preview. Trying show. to we, we, restrain. Discipline, Discipline, that's right. That That's a great word for it, Steven. So those are my teams. So let's let's keep moving. Let's let's get through these divisions in a timely manner. So, Steven, you're up next. You have the Pacific Division. I, I utter those words, timely manner, and yet we have multiple teams in this division who, if we were on ESPN – we'd be talking about for a whole hour. So let's. It's so let's, funny. I have a very ESPN uh, like question that we're going to get to later. <laughs> oh, oh boy. I can't uh, wait. And it's, it's not in. Okay. We'll, we'll get to it. All right. So, and Where we started like, like Brett said this last week, I think when I picked the teams, I thought it was going to be more boring, but like stuff happened between then and now. So like, this is like the division to talk about. Um, we're going to start alphabetically because I'm a nerd. I said it last week, Golden state warriors. Forget about the fight. We're not going to talk about it. So I'm Steve Kern. I'm Steve Kern. This we're not going to talk about the fight. The only reason I'm mentioning these three names is because they're expiring contracts. That's the only reason. It has nothing to do with the fight. Who is more important moving forward for this team between Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, and Draymond Green? Brett, we'll start with you first, brother. It's a great question, man. It's it's the question. Um, I'm going to say Poole. You know, I think Draymond is what, 30, 32, 33 now, um, has definitely had some injury issues. The one last year was particularly concerning. He's had conditioning issues throughout his career. He's a 6'5 big man that can't shoot at all. Um, now, we all know about the great things that he does. He's a historically great defensive player. He's an unbelievable playmaker, passer. Like, we don't, you know, we, we know he's, he's an incredible player. He's a Hall of Famer, no question. But at this stage in his career, you know, he's not a guy that I'm looking to extend for, like, another four years at a high number if I'm the Warriors. Um, I, you know, it's going to depend on how he plays this season. But I could see him just picking up that player option because – I think, yeah. you know, whatever 27 million, whatever it is, is going to be potentially pretty hard to turn down, depending on what the market looks like out there for him. I'm not sure it's going to be as robust as people might assume because he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. But 
I have some concerns about how he's going to age from here on out. Um, and then, yeah, we're not going to talk about the fight, but, uh, um, so yeah, I would, I, I, I think he's a guy that they're already probably planning on going forward without, you know, beyond this season, at least like considering that possibility. Uh, and then, you know, Wiggins, Wiggins is extraordinarily valuable. I just think like yeah. if you have to pick one out of those guys to prioritize, which I don't think they're going to have to just pick one necessarily. Maybe they'll have to pick two. Um, but I would, I would say it's pool just because um, he is, he's just unbelievable, man. I can't say enough good things about him. Nathan knows, like I've been a, a big uh, pool junkie for a long time since before he was getting minutes, like before he even got sent to it's the a pool G party, league. baby. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of my favorite players in the league. And I just think he's such a special scorer. I think people tried to pigeonhole him into this kind of like sixth man, like microwave. That's his ceiling. And like that is probably what he's going to be for this team this year based on their personnel. But like, you know, I think he could be a, a high level starting point guard in the NBA, you know, down mm -hmm. the road. And if they're looking for somebody to sort of inherit the throne from Steph, like they might have that guy right now and it's Jordan Poole. And so I think in that sense where he's been in the system again and and he can do a lot of the things Steph can do. Like, I think you could argue that he's the closest thing to Steph in the NBA, just based on what he can do off ball and, and the way mm. he can, you know, his handle. And I mean, you know, his, his shooting, he's tremendous. Um, so I think they value him really highly. He's going to get that big extension. Um, and I think, you know, I do think he handled all this pretty well from what I can um, gather. It sounds like, you know, pool has handled this whole drama really well. And, uh, yeah. and I think that they've shown that uh, Steve Kerr had a quote the other day, like we're going to be relying on him for a very long time. Like I could see him as, as kind of the heir to Steph's throne. Not that Steph is going anywhere anytime soon, yeah. but you know, you start thinking three, four years down the road, you know, what could Jordan Poole be then? Like, I don't know. He, he might be the guy. So yeah, I'm, he might I'm be going. setting up Steph Curry for some open threes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be fun to see how that dynamic sort of evolves as pool comes into his prime and Steph gets a little bit older into his, you know, mid to late thirties. So yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, pool would be, would be my answer there. So it's interesting, Nathan, because Andrew Wiggins last season, I mean, they don't win a finals without, no. without the way that he balled out. Right. But yeah. it just, it's so Andrew Wiggins for, him to be the the least talked about guy are you going to kind of stay in that same line of thinking or do you are you going to be the one to pick Andrew Wiggins finally since he was picked number one in the draft my my answer can absolutely change depending on the play of this year but I am going to say Andrew Wiggins I'm, okay. I'm absolutely going to say Andrew Wiggins and the, the reason why I say that is at that three spot they do not have another guy ready to step in and, and give them what, what he gives them on this roster. Moses Moody, I'm a, I'm a Moses Moody guy. He is not the type of shot creator that Andrew Wiggins is. And I, I think it's still going to take Moses Moody quite, quite a bit to get to the defensive level that Andrew Wiggins was playing in the finals mm -hmm. last year. That just comes from being a veteran that comes with you know him embracing his man body and his toughness and all that stuff. That comes with time. Jonathan Kuminga is going to be the other forward that's probably going to slot in when Draymond leaves. It's going to take him some time to, to really adjust and give that team what they need from him as well. Jordan Poole, again, my answer could change depending on how Jordan Poole plays this year. Like if he truly is Brett, that, that spectacular, like he lives up to everything 
all of the case that you laid out for him, I can see why if you only had to pick one of the three guys that Jordan pulls the reason why they bring him back. I think they can probably pay two of them if, if it had to only come down to one and you had to try and find somebody's production somewhere else. Listen, we at No Ceilings have been telling you, Ryan Rollins is coming. Hey, Ryan baby. Rollins. Let's go. Ryan Rollins is coming. I'm not, Very impressive. I'm not saying Last he's night. Jordan Poole, but if you got to try to find some semblance of that production somewhere and you have to piece together the production of a Ryan Rollins next year coming into year two with, with a, maybe a Dante DiVincenzo still on the roster. Like you, you can find ways to sort of piece some of that offensive scoring production together. I don't know where else you're going to find the type of defense that Wiggins played in the finals last year. If he's still that good on that side of the ball this year, on top of at times being their, their best isolation weapon, especially when Steph's on the bench. So I just, for me, I think you have to bring Wiggins back. And I think you okay. can probably bring both Poole and, and Wiggins back. But I'll, I'll say Wiggins for, for argument's sake, Stephen. I like it. That, that's perfect. All right, so we'll keep it rolling. And we're going to be staying within the namesake of Trap Deeper. Even though we're talking about the Los Angeles Clippers, there's a lot of names on this team, super deep. Considering how deep this team is, are there any concerns with the risk of lack of development between players like Terrence Mann and Brandon Boston Jr. Nathan, I'll start with you. Are you concerned with how deep this team is that there could be, you know, some stunted development between those two prospects? I mean, there definitely could be, right? With the with the amount of names they have in front of them. As far as backcourt names, I mean, we're looking at John Wall and Reggie Jackson are going to be sharing time at the point guard spot. You have Norman Powell on the team along with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. You still have Luke Kennard in the backcourt at the forward spots. You still have Nicholas Batum and Robert Covington sharing time. So there are a lot of bodies ahead of Terrence Mann and Brandon Boston for as much as we're fans. And you you said those two names. I'll throw in Jason Preston too. Jason Let's Preston's go. had some fun moments like in the preseason Amir Coffee. Well. So like uh, Amir Coffee, uh, Mo, they're, they're going to give Moses Brown the old tryout to see if he can definitely <laughs> stay on the team. And, you know, if Avica Zubats can't, you know, play as many games or he has to play a more limited role, can Moses Brown sort of be that other big body that they go to outside of just playing Marcus Morris? It's a small ball five. We'll see what some of the lineup combinations produce. But to your point, Stephen, the only way you get better at, at NBA basketball is by playing NBA basketball. We, we talk about that all the time. So you can give those guys as much G League uh, runway as you want. At the end of the day, they're only going to figure out how to play in a battle-tested championship environment by actually participating in those games. Out of those three names, I'd say Terrence Mann's obviously the most likely to still find a way to break into the rotation or if they have to shuffle some guys around if somebody gets hurt. He's the first name they're going to. But, Brett, I know that you, you and I, we, we've kind of been Brandon Boston guys through this process saying, like, we, we don't understand how he fell out of the first round of the draft. He's an interesting guy they have waiting in the wings. But to Steven's point, I don't know where they're going to find the playing time for him. What do you think? He's not going to play if they're fully healthy. It's just there's no way. I mean, because yeah. if you – I don't have the roster in front of me, but I remember looking at it before, and it's like, oh, my God, like Terrence Mann is their 11th man. That's, or, yeah, literally. Or Luke Kennard, take man. your pick, right? It's either – if you go down that roster, it's either Terrence Mann or Luke Kennard is the 11th man, and then Boston's obviously behind that. So, like, there's just – if they're healthy, there's no way he plays. Now, I think he's going to get some opportunity throughout the season because there's going to be injuries – 
Kawhi yep. probably won't play any back-to-backs. Um, he'll probably have a minutes limit too. Paul George has been known to get banged up. Like they're an older team for sure, which like we were talking about with some of the teams yesterday, like it's, it's super important to have that depth when you're an older team and you have guys that are going to need, you know, uh, some load management. So it works in their favor in that regard. Um, but, but yeah, it kind of sucks for, for, for BJ Boston and, and Terrence Mann, Terrence Mann, he'll, he'll play. I mean, he's been, yeah. he's been so valuable for them in, in playoff series and different times. Like he's, he's a, really a part of that team. Like he's not he like an auxiliary guy. It's just, they're so deep. It's just um, how much better is he going to be able yeah, to get in this, that environment? Right? Yeah. Like, are we going to keep seeing the same old, same old with him? Right. Because like, yeah, he's a guy that could start, certainly be a top six, seven guy on a lot of teams. You know, he'd be firmly in the rotation of just about any other team, a starter on a lot of them. And here he's like the 10th, 11th guy. So, um, yeah, at full strength, it's going to be a real bummer seeing him potentially just not getting any minutes. Uh, but that's just so hard to imagine. And, you know, they're they're probably not going to be at full strength um, all that often this season. I think there's always going to be somebody banged up. And I think that's why they've built the team that they have with so many quality role players and so much depth. It's to sort of preemptively account for those absences that, that we're going to see from some of these older they, guys. And, they and better some of figure it out. Cause if this team doesn't go to the finals, it's going to be, it, to me, it's going to be a disappointment. They, like that, this is so talented of a squad. Yeah, they feel like the team to beat, uh, especially if John wall is as good as he's looked. Uh, that's a yeah. huge addition. You could go down the a list there. There are, They've got a lot of good players, man. They really do. Um, and and yeah, uh, I'm I'm a huge Brandon Boston fan. Like, yeah, as as you said, and um, I think he's super talented. He's a kid I really believe in. Like, you know, he's he's on the skinny side and everything. But like when I watch him play, I see more than I do with someone like uh like Book Knight, who we were talking about yesterday. Uh, I think Brandon Boston could really be a player. And it's like, who knows what he'd even be yeah. already if he was on OKC or like Orlando, Cleveland. Or, yeah oh man like some team would you imagine a trade gets an opportunity to play um but he'll get those chances throughout the season when they're when they're shorthanded when guys are resting when they're playing a a team where they're just like you know just resting everybody it's gonna happen and um he'll probably show some awesome flashes but i'd imagine he spends a decent amount of time in the g league he seems like he's too good and almost too established to do that. But for development's sake, I think they're going to have to, you got to get him reps. And the G league is really the only way to do that when you're completely out of the rotation. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I wish I could do a really good Stephen A. Smith impression because uh, (laughs) this is the ESPN question. Feel like you guys know who we're going with here. So Los Angeles Lakers, right? I'm not going to talk about Russell Westbrook. Not going to talk about Nunn or Beverly. This is just more of like a philosophical, we're never really going to know like what the right answer is, but I think it's an important one to evaluate because of what's happened since LeBron and AD came to town, right? Like one championship ring, you can debate, I don't hang an asterisk next to their, to their championship, even though it took place in the bubble. And then you just look at outright missing playoff games and a lot of injuries and stuff like that. So If there is no championship at the end of the season, I still hear a lot of places hyping up this Los Angeles Lakers team as a potential championship contender. Uh, So if there is no championship at the end of the season, do we look at the LeBron AD era in Los Angeles as a failure? Nope. Uh, Nope. 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 They got one. Why not, Nathan? If you get one, if you get one, if you get one ring, it was all worth it. That's, with the best player in the with the best player in the NBA and one of the best of all time. You, you just you one play, ring. 
you play the win the game. It's incredibly difficult to get back for multiple finals first. What, what, what LeBron did in the Miami Cleveland era was, I mean, that we, we don't see that, right. We, we saw that with him. We saw that with the, the, the magic bird will Korea. like, you got You got to go back to like those days to really find like repeated. And then obviously Jordan's bowls, but like, think about yeah. how rare, how rare that truly is. And all of the years that the NBA has been around, that is not an easy feat to accomplish. You'd look at any of these other teams who have won, like Milwaukee still hasn't been back to the finals. Dirk's Mavericks never got back to the finals. Just cherry pick these teams, right? You have to be special and not just special for one year on the court. You have to be constructed, incredibly special to have both players in the short term and have enough there in the long term to be able to cycle guys in and out and not miss a beat. Exactly what we've seen from this recent Golden State Warriors dynasty. So there's only going to be one or two of those teams every decade. And yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't LeBron's Lakers. It wasn't Anthony Davis's Lakers. Like they got one championship in the midst of everything else that was going on in the NBA. So I don't, I don't know what more they really want. You you can maybe, say, maybe make the playoffs outside of that one championship season. Like that's where I think the crux of the argument is, is that it's not just that they got the one ring one. Is that what you, is that what you traded all those players for Anthony Davis for? Is that what you signed one of the greatest players of all time for? Was one would, ring would you, and then would you rather have Aaron... that? Would you rather have that one championship or would you rather have what I've been sitting through at the 76ers now where they just, they can't go anywhere. They, they have a, a good question. team that's been competing every single year. I'd rather, I'd rather the Sixers, man. I would too. Yeah. More Kurt, than the I, championship. Yeah, Brad. man. More, more than, than the more than. It's just one. It's like, that's the thing. Okay. So like if Ban- they had been, banners hang forever, man, we're, we're, I know, but. It, I how know, much of these Sixers teams are going to remember? Where do you draw dude? the line, though? You know, where do you draw the line with that philosophy? Where like you sacrifice your a lot, a lot of your future um, to bring in AD? Like you know, we don't need to go down all the picks and what those have become and could become and what the young players. They, in they didn't. They didn't the... sacrifice the future to get that one championship, though. It's all this other dumb shit that they've done yeah, after they, that. The, like the the Westbrook thing was catastrophic, right? For sure, but that factors in like you know i'm just saying that's that one component of it is what they gave up for ad another component of this lebron ad tenure in la is the westbrook trade Uh, another one is ad's inability to stay healthy but like above all else man it's like they've missed the playoffs twice since lebron has been there and now once with ad they lost in the first round of phoenix and they got their one championship in the bubble. And I'm not trying to downplay it. Like, I, I'm not going to be the guy that's like, oh, but it, it, like asterisk, it was the bubble. So, not at all. I think if anything, the bubble was maybe tougher. Like, you really had to – I give them all the credit in the world for that one. But, like, I – if they – like, you're, the way you phrased the question was, like, if they fall short of a championship this season or, like, if there's never – if they don't win another one, is it a failure? Like, I don't know. Maybe if they go to the conference finals and have a really competitive – like, maybe then, like, it wouldn't be, but – if say they miss the playoffs again this season, I would say it's been a failure because that would be three times missing the playoffs once losing in the first round and one title. But like for what you gave up to get that, like, I don't think it's worth it. I'd rather be a team like the Sixers, honestly, like right now, if I was a fan, like I would, you can have that one title, like give me a future, you know, like, multiple bites at the apple. Like that's yeah, the way you gotta that's because that's it. fun. Like that's fun. Like those like uh, conference finals runs, semifinals runs. The like, that's Lakers fun. could have had multiple bites at the apple. They shot themselves 
yeah. in the foot. I think so. Last year was obviously the the Russell Westbrook tire fire, and that's why they didn't make the playoffs. First year LeBron was there was and LeBron injury. It was LeBron sitting at the kids table. So like I I know we all thought that like oh he was gonna come in he was gonna make all these young guys amazing like they were gonna be on their way to like a championship. But like he got hurt that year too. He got yeah. hurt that year, and in reality, like young teams just do not go far in the playoffs. They really don't. Like a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant going up against the Heat in the finals, like that that's like a rare outlier to these young teams going that far. Like, so. I think the most disappointing season was probably when they lost to Phoenix in that first round. That that, so that was, was a blow. Well, didn't AD get hurt in that one? Like it's he, but it's like that's they like, both got hurt in that one. Expected. But that's 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 yeah. the series that really set them like they were oh, good that we, year. We we can't be patient with this team. We got to blow it up and go get Russell yeah, Westbrook. That's, like, that, that was, was really that was the biggest screw up, right? For that sure, was the dynamite. Because so. they were pretty good that season. Like, you know, before the injuries and stuff, like during the regular season, they were good. I think a lot of people thought they were going to win the title. Um, but like, I don't mean to like blame it on LeBron or blame it on AD or blame it on those two, but just, you know, we're calling it the LeBron AD era, but like it, it's the, it's the Russ trade. It's, you know, maybe they gave up more than they had to, to get AD. Like there's been, and, and, and then just banking on these older guys, like LeBron is starting to break down, obviously, like he's had some he's missed a lot of games the last few years, especially compared to earlier in his career. AD is notoriously injury prone. Like, um, so you kind of knew what you were getting into, especially with AD. And like, I don't know, man, I, I have a hard time just feeling like it's been an overall success. Like it just doesn't feel like it to me. I don't know. I, it's totally a philosophical question though. Like you it said, is. I mean, cause most people I think would say, Hey, you get that one championship. It's always worth it maybe if you get two, it is like, but th then some people said Miami was a failure because they only got two. Well, like, yeah. that whole come thing. on, so, come on, come on. Really? Like they got two championships. Some like, people say that was, Oh, down. they only got two. Like that was disappointing. They said they were going to get four or five, whatever the quote, very was. Like, nuanced. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, and like I said, that's the ESPN segment. We can we could table. We could. <laughs> I, we I don't. I don't that. fault you guys though for being disappointed in what the Lakers have been. It's just it's LA we, and we it's just share different viewpoints. So. It's something I've thought about a lot though. It's a great question. This is something I've yeah, definitely thought question. about. These are, this is a conversation I've had with people. Like, is like how do you define this a success? Like, because this is it's an interesting case study for sure. To for say sure. The least. For sure. Yeah. And, and we'll move on from uh, one disaster to another, at least on paper right now. The, the Phoenix Suns, I mean, with the, the Sarver saga, you know, Jay Crowder's wanting out. We saw what Aiton kind of did in the offseason and how he's kind of conducting himself in interviews. A lot of a lot of perceived tension. So with that being said, I want to ask, who is the most important player for the team's success this season? And I want to kind of caveat based on if you guys give me an answer that one of you might, but I think that I think we're a little disappointed in, in Booker, you know, I mean, like kind of build as one thing, like, don't get me wrong, total offensive stud, right? Kind of, you kind of want him to take the reins on this team though, to an extent, right? Chris Paul, we, we know the, the playoff history, the injury history, stuff like that. Aiton, are we, are we betting on him and his attitude with this team? And then, you know, is there anyone else? Like Mikel Bridges, is he going to be able to turn it up another level? You know, Johnson's going to be in the starting lineup. It's really interesting to look at this team as a whole. But, Nathan, I want to ask you, who is the most important player that pushes this team to unreached heights? You ready for this one? Yep. Dario Saric. Ooh. Dario Saric 
has to be healthy for this team. They missed him so much last year. And now you take a look. So first of all, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bismack Biombo. I'm not believing in you as teams like primary backup big. Like if, if that's the best that the Suns are trotting out, who knows? Maybe they get themselves in the Yaka Pirtle conversation to bring in another big man. I was thinking that, about that, that too. That could, that could make a lot I'm of Mr. sense, Bell. but I think the answer right now has to be on the roster and you can make arguments for me. Maybe Tory Craig needs to play an important role as somebody who could spell Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, step into that lineup, allow them to keep playing small if he can shoot the ball well enough from the corners. But they, at the end of the day, they need to play with size. They're going to yeah. have to play with size in the Western conference to beat Denver, um, to, to beat what the Lakers are going to try it out. If that team finds a way to get back to being good, the Clippers depth, they have enough guys at those forward spots that gives the, the, these smaller lineups problems, just go, go down the list of all these Western conference teams. It can't be the cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges combo, Deandre and get that front court. That that's a, that's a good starting front court. That's one of the better closing lineups you can have in the NBA, but there's going to be plenty of stretches during these games, especially in the playoffs where they need some, some injection of legitimate size and skill along with obviously being able to space the floor out for Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Dario Saric gives you all of those things. And when he's not there, that team feels that missed impact like no other. So just given everything that's going on, Jay Crowder being on his way out, that to me is the guy, he, he, he has to be healthy. I'm sorry, because if, if he's not healthy, the, the, there's just certain matchups that the Suns are not going to be able to win. And we're going to look at some of these stretches in these games they're going to go on like 10 to 12 point blown leads or, or like opened up leads in some of these games that they can put in that small lineup that's great on both sides you can only ask some of these lineups to come back from such a deficit especially on on, on a repeated basis so Sarge to me is one of those important guys he, he's a he's a glue guy he's a tough guy he's a rebounder for all the things I laid out former sixer Former yep. Sixer Dario Sarge. He, he shoots the ball better than he did in Philadelphia. The he shot's does. not as flat anymore. That that thing was as flat as a pancake when he was putting that up in Philadelphia. But I, I yeah. digress. Brett, Brett, what, what do you think? I mean, I'm glad you brought up the bench guys like because that's that's certainly a concern with this team is the depth. Um, you know, they lost JaVale McGee, who was a great backup center for them. And it looks like they're losing Crowder, like you said. So it's like all of a sudden they start to look pretty shallow but you do get Sharich back and he kind of provides them with a, a sort of a different dimension something they lacked last year as like a big that can space it out a little bit you know make some plays do a little bit more offensively than just kind of catch lobs and stuff and and they still have a guy that's in that sense more traditional in Biombo, where maybe you know between the two of them um as almost like a platoon of, of backup centers they can sort of cover a lot of ground so to speak uh but yeah I, I do worry about their depth quite a bit my my answer to this one is going to be Aiton um, mm. because I think he can do a lot more than he's shown. I think he's I been, I think he's been kind of limited by just kind of the way you have to play with Chris Paul. I mean, not a knock on Chris Paul. It's probably for the best. And like, he deserves a lot of credit. I think Aiden for the way that he's adapted to that. Like, okay, I'm a guy that likes to do some things on my own. I like to shoot a lot of jumpers. Like I, I might want to shoot some threes, but like, you know, I'm playing with Chris Paul. I'm going to be this, you know, just elite kind of role man and, and get what I can elsewhere offensively but I think that guy could be you know in the right situation with the right amount of touches like a 25 and 12 guy honestly like I think he's that kind of offensive force I think he's a great shooter he's one of the best 
mid-range shooters in the NBA. I think he's going to stretch out to the three-point line one of these years. And I think this could be the year that he starts to really do it. And this could be the year where they really start to run more stuff through him. I just feel like he's been underutilized. And I know they're a very talented team and, you know, there's only so many shots to go around, but I don't think they've been getting the most out of DeAndre Ayton. And I hope that this year, I mean, he's looked pretty aggressive in the preseason. I just hope he's looking to score and they're looking to feed him. And, and I hope to see him score, you know, 20 plus points a game this season. And I think if he can do that, um, they look a little different because I think they need to shift their identity a bit yeah. as a team. You know, I'd like to see more, uh, more three-point shooting for sure. And, and more just inside dominance from Aiton. Like it's, there's such a mid-range heavy team and I don't know how like sustainable that is throughout the playoffs. So I think they need to shift in their identity. And I think that Aiton could be a big part of that for sure. I think so much of their offense, Steven is just, it, it's the DHO stuff. It's having, yep. it's having Booker come out of that DHO with Aiton and usually Aiden's, you know, rolling to the basket and, and they're trying to get him the lob immediately or he's popping out and then they give him some of those mid-range touches, which I, I like mid-range Aiton. I think he yeah. does need to keep taking those shots. Oh, for sure. But they, to Brett's point, they do need to get him some looks in the post, right? Because mm -hmm. when, when they went to the, the Phoenix Suns, when they went on their finals run, what I loved about that team was that they were not 100% jump shot dependent, as you guys were talking about. They fed the big man right? They respected DeAndre Ayton. And when those guards got in trouble to where they could either take a bad shot or they could feed Ayton the ball, they were feeding him the ball. They were letting him be their bailout guy. They got away from that completely last year. Yep. I don't know why they got away from it, but they did. And it bit them in the ass because I've said this multiple times and I'll keep saying it. Three points is greater than two, but two points is greater than none. And when yep. you leave those points on the table, you're going to be in a tough spot in some of these close playoff games. So to, to all of your points, Brett, and, and what Steven's probably about to talk about. Yeah. Deandre and they, they got to give that big man some love in the post. And, and yeah. Even if it's him. not just like traditional, you know, Shaquille O'Neal dominance, yeah, you like, don't need to yeah. post, like, I'm fine to throw him 10 post no. touches, but like four or five, a game, give him, like, give him a bunch. And like, Hey, if he wants to shoot that little right shoulder turnaround, like that's one of the most de deadly shots in all of basketball. Like he's like a 99th percentile shooter from the short mid range. Like he's unbelievable in that range. So what jump hooks, whatever he wants to do in there, go for it. As long as he's getting shots up, like, I think he's going to be an efficient, scorer and i think they should just go to him a little bit more maybe some of those mid-ranges that other guys are taking like maybe you know maybe let those be eight and short mid-range or, or post you know uh dunks whatever like whatever he can get um i just want to see that guy score like 20 plus i think uh i think it's time yeah. to unleash deandre ayton and i think the relationship or maybe lack thereof with monty williams is a big reason why because we listen we know that he loves chris paul chris and and Chris Paul has like over time slowly become like one of my least favorite players in the NBA. That's not to say that I don't respect him or I don't admire him or I don't, you know, appreciate the greatness that he's shown over time. It's just that how demonstrative that he has become with, it used to be just only be opponents and referees. Now it's teammates. And it's, I think that it's stunting the development or the even desire and motivation for a young big man, like that point guard center relationship in the NBA is so vital. And if there's any sort of deterioration, it's going to show drastically. And, and I'm curious to see like how much they kind of look to go away when Chris Paul is not playing, how much of that Booker and Aiton relationship it's, starts flourishing this season. Find the balance, right? Like we know, yeah. like it's, it's funny because 
everybody was saying, well, Aiton can't be the fulcrum of your offense. Like, yeah, that's fine. He doesn't need to be a high usage player, but yeah. then they, they, they simplified some things for him. He showed to be more efficient. That's fine. But they, they swung that pendulum way too far in the other direction. Yep. Find, find the happy medium. He should have been exactly dominant. that that Dallas series. Like he should have dominated the Mavs. And a lot of that is on him for not doing that. I think he had like one good game maybe in that series. Yeah. Um, but I also think a lot of that was just the, the approach. Like I, that should have just been something they leaned into more like, Hey, this is our big advantage against this team. They have nobody that can stop this guy. You would think they did, but I don't know how much of that is Aiden, how much of that is Monty, how that, how that is. But you know, you gotta, he's a guy that um a lot of teams have trouble with. And, um, and I just hope they lean into that a little more heavily this season. It would be very fun to see. All right. So wrapping up the Pacific division, there's a lot of ways that I could have gone with my questioning for the Sacramento Kings, but here's an interesting one that I was thinking about, and I don't really hear it being discussed a lot. So with the off season moves and acquisitions and drafts and everything that they, that they've had, the moves that they've made a lot of feel good coming out of Sacramento for the first time in a long time. The question that I want to pose to you all is with an expiring contract of close to 18 million, is there a Harrison Barnes trade looming that really no one is discussing? And what are some potential suitors for a Harrison Barnes? Uh, Nathan, we'll start with you, man. That's a great question that I don't know if I have a perfect answer for off the top of my head. I'll tell you, I, I think Dallas would love to be back in the market to, to bring Harrison Barnes back. Somebody else like that who can keep hitting threes, but also play some of the quality wing defense that I think that team needs to still be competing. What Once upon a time, I would have liked for my Philadelphia 76ers to enter into that ring, right? When they had the, the Ben Simmons trade out there, could Harrison Barnes in a package with somebody else be, be a player type of player that they could bring back. But, but there are probably a number of contenders out there who would like to to trade for Harrison Barnes and services. But that that Dallas trade for me would be an easy one that sticks out. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers keep making deals. But like we talked about them last night, like we all believe in Isaac Okoro, but like Brett, yeah. if for whatever reason, Isaac isn't what we think he yeah. can be and Karras isn't providing the defensive juice, yeah. like do they was, say, screw it, we're going to go all and make another deal? I was going to mention them as a potential team that could look at Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Like if the Okoro thing isn't where, if he's just not giving you enough on offense, like we were talking about yesterday, then like he's the, that's the a type of team that he could slot right in at. Um, I know Steve wants him to be on the bucks. I don't know what quite that trade would look like, but our guy, our guy, Steve uh, is, uh, is trying to manifest yeah, Harrison Barnes to the bucks. Pretty nice next to each other. Um, that could, that could be interesting. Um, I'd have to think about how that one would work. And then Bobby Portis, Grace and Allen and yeah, Fitz maybe like yeah, something I mean, like that. Yeah. Something like that. And then there's Miami who's got a big hole at the four. Like, mm. is that somebody that they could look for? Like, uh, because yeah, the thing with like him and would you guys say that he and Keegan Murray play basically the same position as like, kind of like a combo forward or would you say there's some overlap yeah a pretty good amount of overlap right they're they're gonna do the same things on the court this year right like they're right. gonna be asked to do the same things barnes is the better defender than keegan murray right now yeah. but offensively they're gonna have the same role yep yeah i don't know that's uh so yeah he he kind of makes sense as a guy that could get moved and and that could certainly help a lot of teams but yeah like i don't know miami it would have to be duncan robinson i think and I don't yeah. know if the Kings want have any interest in that, like what maybe they could attach with him. Um, 
that was the same thing with Jay Crowder and Phoenix. Like if, if Miami wanted to get that deal done, it would have to be Duncan Robinson. I actually think he can help. The you know, you know, once upon a time they gave Duncan Robinson that contract, not only because of the value that he brought in the bubble, but also as, you know, we, we put this guy on, on one of those amounts. That's one of those tradable contracts yep. in the NBA. And now nobody wants him. It, it's, yeah. It, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah, I think Harrison Barnes is certainly a superior player, but that would probably be that one there, but I'm sure Miami would love to have him. But yeah, that I, I would not be surprised if, if he were dealt at some point, uh, especially, especially if the wheels fall off, if they aren't as good as we probably hope they'll be. I think there's some kind of like fun interdivisional things, like what we were just talking about with Phoenix. Like maybe they work out like that Jay Carter move and they could bring in a Harrison Barnes, yeah. another Western conference team that I think would be a fun one would be like the Portland trailblazers. If they're mm -hmm. looking to expand, um he 18 million is like super easy to get to now which means that like there's probably 29 teams that if they really wanted to could, could make a move and Man. get him he's he's yeah. super like i think that this could be a guy like if nba executives i know you're listening so if this like go get this guy like expiring 18 million if you don't like him whatever like he he's yeah. a he's a name value guy but if not like what you could do with him on your books, what you could do with him on your roster, like positional, you know, forward versatility on your team, like sounds like a Toronto <laughs> player to me. If I ever seen one, could help out in your half court as well, right? So there, Jay, there's Jay a lot Crowder of Crowder help that Suns team get to the finals, and you want to ship him to Sacramento? Come on, come on, Stephen. We, well, Sacramento, on. we gotta have a little more love for Jay Crowder than that. Well, Sacramento is like one of these teams that Jay Grouter goes to, and it helps build that credibility of a winner because they're in prime spot to be a playoff team this year. Sacramento right? so, is still going to be Sacramento until they aren't Sacramento anymore. So well, I, think I, that's I want, I want be, more for my man, Jay Crowder. <laughs> I think it's going to be this year, and I think that he could you know, wear that badge of honor with pride that he was on the Sacramento team that made the playoffs for the first time since I was you know, born maybe like <laughs> for a long, long time. I guess Memphis is technically a potential trade partner too. If they I was thinking of Memphis for, too for, for, for a consolidation yeah. trade. Like, do they maybe try to put together like that Dylan Brooks package and he gives you a little bit of wing help, you know, like or, you, you know, there's also Steven Adams is on that roster. Right. So there's a couple of different ways that they could approach it. I think Dylan Brooks would have to be the one because of that. They're, they're already set at center with, with Holmes and uh, Sabonis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a guy like that one a lot. That yeah. would make sense. He's the type of guy that they've like. I think they've been interested in Crowder bringing him back. Um, I mean, I know they were there was like Jalen Brown talk a couple years ago. Like they're definitely looking for for a, that kind of forward. Um, he'd be a great fit there. That he could push them to the next level too. Like that's the type of team where he could really um, add even you know more value, like a an exponential amount of value or something than he would in a in a different in a different spot. He could be extra valuable to a team like that. I like that. Yeah. All right, Brett. We are to the man. Northwest. This is the Bring Northwest division. Steven, right. those were all fantastic and engaging questions. Yeah, even our even our fun little argumentative segment. That was still our ESPN segment. Ago. That's right. So <laughs> Brett, where um, are we starting? Whew, let's start with uh gotta be the worst team in the division, I think, the Utah Jazz. Okay. Um <laughs> It's kind of yeah, a weird question. Just for the YouTube audience, Steven has go. our no ceilings. Yes. I hate Danny Ainge shirt front and center. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Um, so the question is like, I guess, are you guys, if you guys were jazz fans, would you be more excited now? Like for this season, 
than you were last season. I know that sounds crazy because they were a, mm. a good team last season. That's but a like, great question. But just from like the 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 prospect, obviously of bottoming out and landing a you know a franchise player, whether that's Wembenyama or, or Scoot or one of the Thompson twins, whoever's in that mix, like there's Cam Whitmore, they're pro, they're going to be in that top five mix for sure. And just the, the Wembenyama possibility, like that's got to be pretty exciting. And then like, um, and if you just look at the, the guys that they do have on their team that are going to be getting opportunities, like your guy, Jared Butler, Nathan, like, I know, like, I know you, you, you're a fan of his game. Like, I am too. He's, he's awesome, man. He's a, he's a fun offensive player. I don't know what we'll get an idea of what he could be in the NBA. Jared, I think this Jared Butler, Colin Sexton, Ochai Abaji, Larry yes. Markinen, and Walker Kessler is like the, the, the absolute sicko lineup for me. Yeah. It's like, you can get me to tune in on, on a random Tuesday night. Right. It's a sicko lineup. Like there's all these, Ochai, like, baby. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these young guys that are just going to be getting these opportunities. It's going to be kind of wild. Like who knows what Sexton's going to do. Like Lowry could have a huge individual season. Like if he gets the minutes, um, but like, if you guys were jazz fans, like, would you be more excited about this? Like this tanking season where these young guys are getting all this run and just kind of a fun, nobody, no expectations. And, and, you know, at the end of it, you could be getting a generational talent. Um, would you say that's more exciting than like last season where you're a good team, but it's like the fourth, fifth, however many years of this same core pretty much. And the same thing that you kind of know doesn't work. And it's just failed in the playoffs year after year after year like do you think that you know do you think this is even though you're not going to be a good team do you think this is more exciting than kind of that boring that boring good team no i'm I'm they, still pissed off i'm still pissed off if you're a jazz fan like, yeah so even with like what you got for rudy and so so and the jazz on. go from one of the best records in the western conference with having the chance to go to the nba finals to because that didn't work We've now blown it up sky high. And yes, we got all these assets back, right? We have all these picks that we can use in a potential trade. We have these interesting young guys. We paid, we, we extended Colin Sexton. We have Oshai Abad. You can grow into with, with a role with this team. Larry Markin, it looks like he's going to average 20 to 25 points a game on a crappy team. That's yeah. what he's trying to do. Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, some of these guys still have to be traded. But we now, as season ticket holders and fans, have to watch this product every single night, hoping that we get the number one pick for Victor Womanyabo. And oh, by the way, the top four teams in the tanktastic lottery race have equal odds. Yeah. We could end up with the fourth pick as much as we yep. could the first pick. And if we miss out on Victor or Scoot, Steven, you and I are different because we study the draft. We're going to be excited about names past Victor and Scoot, but a the average jazz basketball fan is going to be like, I hear about Victor and Scoot on ESPN. If we're not getting one of those guys, what the fuck are we doing with if this? If you franchise? end up with like a <laughs> so, Amen Thompson or Whitmore, it might be disappointing to the average fan, even though those guys are, are dope. So, well, it's, it's, if I'm, if I'm a fan and I, I'm not as educated in, in the draft space, like I don't have as much right. knowledge. I'm not following those ceilings yet. I'm probably pretty pissed off before I'm sitting right now, to be honest. But what if it's you with all your knowledge and like being a sicko and no, like knowing all these potential guys you could draft and like Jared Butler, like, you know, like, are you more excited about, or do you just not, not really, you're not going to watch a whole lot of jazz games. <laughs> 
I, I want to watch so. good basketball at the end of the day, man. Like that, that, yeah, that's what yeah, I want to yeah, watch. There, yeah. there are a lot of young guys that I'm interested in that I want to watch the individual developments of, but this collection of guys, they're tanking. It's going to be an absolute tire fire. So yeah. as a fan, I don't know how I'm happy about this unless we get one of Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson. And then you don't know that you're getting them like until, until the end. Know. So this, right. this season's just going to be there. Right. All right. So I see what you're saying, Nathan. Consider, consider the context. You're the Utah jazz. You are the only game in town. Like there's no MLB, right? Like sure, there's MLB there. Right. But I'm saying like, in, in Salt Lake We're City. We're talking about right. fandom, though, man. Like, this isn't just right. me, the draft but, analyst, getting to appreciate listen, what Danny Ainge is doing point. and, and get, doing all the mechanics. Let me let me get to my point. You're you're a Utah Jazz fan, right? You're not a Los Angeles. You're not a Philadelphia 76ers fan, right? You're a Utah Jazz fan. You now have the opportunity to be in this new generation of NBA fandom where you're a small market team, just like the Oklahoma City Thunder. You get to be mad at your team, but you also get to appreciate like Lou Dort. Like there are there are Oklahoma City Thunder fans that love Lou Dort. If he's on a championship team, he might be like a sixth or seventh or eighth guy on on a really, really good roster. Right. So you're a small market team. You have a lot of exciting young talent that are that you're going to get to grow with in your fandom. Right. Like so there is a little bit of like us against the world mentality where you get to have like that irrational love for players on a team that on other rosters, like might not get a chance. Right. But you get to grow in your fandom and love and appreciation for it. You are listening to scoot. You are listening to Victor love on all these things. You're excited. You're looking forward to, you have Danny Ainge who we know is going to make moves to help make this team competitive in the long term, Right. So this is a trust the process type mentality that you get to have and you get to be a part of like the ground level of the next generation and new wave of the Utah Jazz right are you mad like are you really mad because you were mad last year because you're like oh we can't play Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert like Rudy Gobert gets played off the court Donovan Mitchell doesn't play defense he doesn't care you know Mike Conley doesn't move anymore like are you more the question are you more mad now than you were last year I think now you kind of like you're ripping the band-aid off you're like okay, everything that everyone has been hinting at for the last four or five seasons is done. I don't got to listen Steven, to that crap anymore. Steven. This is a this is a rise of the Phoenix. This is new beginnings. Everyone's excited for new beginnings, man. Everybody loves this moment. Steven, I, I live in the well Philadelphia said. area. I've followed the process since, since that trade literally took place, the trade that sent Drew Holiday to New Orleans and just started this whole damn teardown that was the process. I know what it feels like to be a fan through those times. It was the right thing to do. It was absolutely the right thing to do. That doesn't mean it doesn't fucking suck at the same time <laughs> for, for fans of the team. Like that, that's the like two things can be true at the same time. It can be that's good, fair. That's but it fair. can also suck. So that's where I'm at. Like I'm I not a, I'm not a jazz fan. No, man, Steven, you that was very well said. And I think like you, you really like that's the appeal of it to me. Like I couldn't have said it better. And uh I'm not a jazz fan, but like. I'm I'm more excited about this jazz team than I was last year because just the Mitchell Gobert thing 
Quinn Snyder. Like it just got stale. And now you've got yeah. this new coach, Will Hardy, young first time coach. Who knows? He could be the next great coach. And yeah, we could be getting this generational player. And ooh, Sexton might be just as good as Mitchell. Who knows? Like there's all kind of weird optimism they could have. Lowry Marketing, where did this guy come from? Like 25 points a game. Like you said, that's not out of the question. Like, and as someone, I'm a Thunder fan, and like it is fun following those guys that like nobody else in the league probably really cares about. But the Jazz are going to have a couple of those guys that like they're like your guys, and and I love the idea of just you just build, destroy, and rebuild. And you, um, you, Utah Jazz fans, NoCeilingsNBA.com. I promised, sign up, go subscribe. <laughs> Absolutely, we, we will be your neighborhood hope dealers every single day. That was Monday a good We're going to be Jazz fans' favorites. Yes. Because we're that way with Oklahoma City and Houston, man. Like right. the fans yep. love us. NoSillingsNBA.com. Go that's sign a up. great, that's a perfect plug, man. Um, but yeah, all right, we'll move on from the jazz. I want to get that one out of the way first. That was good. Uh, no, it was a good answer, man. It was kind of a weird question, but yeah, I think you, you, you got what I was what I was getting at there. Um, let's go with my Portland Trailblazers, another one of my favorite teams. Um, this one, there might be a couple of these questions along this line, just considering like what you guys do in the basketball world and your expertise. Like my question is about Shaden Sharp specifically. Perfect. Because like I have been like none of us, even the most plugged in of all of us hadn't seen that much of him. Right. You know, prior to even he didn't play at summer league barely, but prior to this preseason, like this has been probably the most, most of us have seen of him, but you guys have definitely had seen a lot more of him than me and are more familiar with his game. But from what I've seen in preseason, I've been blown away. Um, I loved what I saw on tape, you know, from like the eyeball stuff or whatever I was looking at. Like, uh, but he uh, he has really impressed in preseason. He's been kind of like one of the buzziest young players in the NBA. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, what do you guys think his ceiling is? Like, he was mm. drafted seventh overall. Like, he's got a really smooth game. He looks like a natural scorer, just crazy athlete. Like some of these lob dunks he's been getting up for. Um you know, kind of a traditional sort of scoring two guard, I guess. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not even talking necessarily about this season because like if the Blazers go into tank mode, if they pivot to that, then he'll probably get plenty of run. But if they're trying to be competitive, I'm not quite sure he gets too many minutes. So he'll get some, but he's probably like the fourth guard or something. But what do you think? Like, could he be? Is his ceiling as high as I think it is? Go ahead. Nathan, Nathan, I've just, I want to ask a question and let you cut loose. Do you, I, I, I swear I was thinking about this today. So Brett, thank you so much for asking this question because I've been trying to work something that we said last year back into the podcast and Brett, like you volleyed me, man. Set spike. Let's go. <laughs> Nathan, do you remember? And I've been watching the highlights and I'm just like, Oh my goodness. Do you remember when we said, dude, look, this draft is so crazy that Shaden Sharp could end up being the best player to come out of this draft like there there was a there was and there is a realistic chance that out of all the hype that Paulo Jabari and Chet got rightly deservedly so that Shaden Sharp could end up being the best player to come out of that draft I mean he's electric dude he's playing next to Dame Lillard he's gonna have you know some some front court defensive assistance to help cover up some of his liabilities that he's gonna present as a young guy dude he could be so scary in this league man and i i just i just want to give it to you nathan cut it loose i just wanted to say do you remember when we said that so so i finished with shade and sharp at eight on my big board last year we did have multiple podcasts where steven is correct we pondered the thought of him potentially ending up 
being the best player in this draft class, but really that came back to where would we rank him on some sort of a big board. And there were certainly weeks last year where I had him fourth on my board. I had him right behind those three big guys. I don't think he's going to be better than Chet, Paolo, or Jabari if all of those guys are healthy, right? But could he be better than all of Jaden Ivey and Keegan Murray? And, well, he certainly looks like he's going to be better than Johnny Davis right now. Um, could he be yeah. better than Dyson Daniels, time. Benedict Matherin, like all these other guys that are in that range? Absolutely he can. And it goes back to the star potential that he has. And I don't think anybody denied when we were ranking no. Shane Sharp last year. He's one of the most dynamic shot makers that we had in this entire draft class. Are all the other parts of his game going to come together to keep him on the floor for him to be able to sustain that type of secondary or even primary shot making role at times? What's the defense going to look like? Because the high school defense, abysmal, what, mm. what I saw on tape. Now, I also stick up for young players that their defense is never going to be good right when they come into the NBA. And when it is good, that's something to really be praised and shouted out. But the majority of the time, rookies are not good on defense. Even second and third year players can still struggle playing defense because they're coming into these new environments. If they're lottery picks, they're on these younger teams who don't have the chemistry built with one another. haven't been in the NBA long enough. They're just not going to compete with some of these top tier defensive teams that we have in the NBA, some of the top tier talent. That's not going to happen. So the defense is going to be a, a thing that's not going to come for him overnight. The playmaking, the passing ability, his, his ability to share the ball within the course of an offense, that's going to have to definitely come along for him as well. And then I still need to see more from him from a catch and shoot standpoint and, and yeah. more of the off ball stuff come through. Now he was a good off ball player in high school, I want to see him be able to take advantage of his athleticism, show that on cuts, show that on some of the lobs. Like we saw the ridiculous lob dunk the other night. Like we want to see more of that stuff, or at least I do all those things I laid out more than just the on ball, dribble, dribble, dribble the air out of the ball, step back, shoot it. I want to see more of those things come together for him because the quicker those things Brett come for around for him, we're going to see more time from him on the Portland Trailblazers. And he's going to step in next to Dame and be like, all right, I'm here or step in alongside Dame and Simons. Like I think Shaden Sharp's best outcome for what the Trailblazers could hope for is if he's their three man and you're trying out a lineup of Dame, Simons, Sharp, Jeremy Grant, and Nurk. And that could be one potent offensive lineup with enough defense to, to, to get by just given how good the offense could be. That's my, I mean, so I want to point it like this. I think there's like a very realistic outcome that he could be J.R. Smith. And I think that some people might look at that and look at that as like a backhanded compliment. But if you like take attitude, take, you know, how expressive he could be or whatever out of the equation, like Jar Smith was a very effective player in the NBA for a very, very long time. Like he could be that level of dude, like at minimum, at most, like he could be that on steroids, you know, like the, super, the, that's the, basically a superstar. Yeah. I mean, he could be like that, like stuff that we're looking at Jalen Green for, like right. Shade and Sharp could be on that same trajectory. He's he electric. Sure he's got the physical tools to be a threat on the defensive end if he's bought in. And Again, offensively, if he's got that on-the-ball skill, he's got that quick twitch, quick twitch and can drive and shoot. Like, the sky's the limit for this kid. He was just so much of a wild card that it's like 
you want to buy into the potential, but how much can you ignore what you didn't see compared to some of these guys that you did see who also had equally of his impressive film? And that's what made scouting him and placing him in like a mock draft or a big board so difficult was weighing those two scales. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I again, I, I didn't see enough of him to really know. Like if I had done a big board, I wouldn't have known where to put him. You know, I just didn't feel like there was enough footage available to me. But then when the Blazers took him at seven, Mike Schmitz and the Blazers took him at yeah. seven. I'm kind of like, okay. I mean, like that's, I'm, I'm all in. Like it, it was seen as like a swing pick, you know, like swinging for the fences, which I like. I think the Blazers are in a position to do that, but also it's, I think it's an intelligent pick made by some very intelligent people. And I'm all in on him ever since then. And then I see the guy kid on the court and it's like, he's man. really something, man. Yep. He's, he, you know, he's bigger than I, than I expected. Uh, he's bigger. He's longer. He's even more athletic. Um, but he's like, he's this blend of like smooth and explosive. Where like he'll look just really smooth, almost like Paul George esque at times the way he moves. Yeah. But then you see him getting up for a lob dunk, and it's like, oh my god, he's got you know forty five <laughs> inch vertical or whatever. Yep. Like it's it's pretty wild. And like, um, I guess you know, I guess I guess my questions with him too now is like, does he crack the rotation this season? Because I didn't really think it was has a possibility, to. but now it's like he has to, right? Like he has to play. Um, he's good enough, you know, like he's good enough. He can legit give you some scoring punch off the bench. Like I, I said a, a couple of weeks ago, like I could see him having like a Kobe Bryant type of rookie year. If you look at Kobe Bryant's rookie season, yeah. seven, eight points a game, kind of low efficiency. I forget. He was like the fourth guard on that Lakers team, but like he was just showed these brilliant flashes throughout the season and teammates would rave about how great he was in practice. I'm like, I could see Shaden maybe having that type of rookie season. I'm not saying he's Kobe, but like, no, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think he could provide a nice little he's, spark off the bench. I hope he gets Vince Carter. Like, yeah. Oh man. That's, he's kind of got almost that, not that level of athleticism quite like nobody does, but that type, like the way he moves, he pops, it pops, man. Just his, his, he, his size and athleticism really pops. It's, it's he, he's their he's their ninth to close out the question before we move on. He's their ninth man in the rotation right now, right? I yeah, think that's safe to say. So you right. have Dame, Simons, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, Nurk, then you have Gary Payton, Sir Little, Trenton Watford, and then you got to put Sharp in there. And then yeah. if, if you're talking about Sharp's already the ninth man in the rotation, if the Blazers make a play and run and they could sneak into the playoffs, Brett. They're not going to be one of those teams, I think, that only plays like six, like six, seven, eight guys. I think they're going to go yeah. to that ninth man because of the types of combinations that they need to play within those lineups. Because there is any of those lineups you want to trot out, there's somewhat of a redundancy. So they need to go to different guys to switch up some of those lineup combinations yeah. and looks. So I think that gives the pathway to Shaden to, to play all year as, as long as he's looking okay doing it. That, that's ideal man the blazers are definitely walking that line between like win now and development and i hope he can be a part of it that's like that's optimal like to develop yep. in a winning situation is always what you want and as a blazers fan like i hope that happens and i think i speak for all blazers fans and saying like i i hope he can be like the next star you know or the next blazers star i think he has that kind of upside it certainly sounds like it from what you guys have said and uh and I think that's kind of the general hope amongst Blazers fans. Like, hey, we got this kid that might really be the next guy for us. So, yeah, it's it's exciting. It's like, it's a silver lining. If the season doesn't go as well as as we hope, um, that's that's a nice silver lining to watch Shaden develop. So, yeah, good. Thank you guys for the the insight. I might have one more of those uh, type of questions coming up about a different oh guy. But uh, <laughs> very very nice. Um, let's go with uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves up next. Big question with them, I think, obviously, or the thing that everyone's just intrigued by is the cat 
and Rudy Gobert fit. Like mm-hmm. you have these, you know, two top five centers, probably top five, six big men, whatever you want to say, the best defensive center in the league and the best shooting center in the league. And you do, they're both all-stars. They're both, you know, like all NBA caliber guys and, and you, and you team them up all of a sudden. And um, I think rightfully, there's a lot of questions about the fit, like what's it going to look like. And I guess my concern for you guys is if you do have some concern at all about this fit, is it more on the defensive side of the ball or offensively, where do you think they could maybe there's more questions defensive or offensive with these, with these two specifically and how they fit together? I think, I think it's defensively because you're putting cat on the perimeter more and someone please help me. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I hate being put on the spot like this, but who's their three? Like, because you got Jaden McDaniels, McDaniels would be there. Jaden McDaniels would be their three. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So even more so like, Jaden McDaniels is probably better playing on on fours, maybe even some small ball fives. Cat, you're putting him on the perimeter. Uh, he's not the fleetest of foot. And obviously, but here's the thing, like Rudy Gobert can cover up a multitude of sins on the defensive end. We just saw it in Utah. So, like, I, I don't think that Utah's prim, or that Minnesota's perimeter defense is going to be worse. It's just hard to imagine in today's NBA, if you have two big men, they both have to have a little bit of defensive potential and that's nothing that we've seen out of Carl Anthony Towns and like he's had the incentive he's had the teammates that he could have done that with already I just I think offensively just the way that Cat can shoot the ball right and I, I don't think that he would be on that he would be a selfish guy playing more on the perimeter right like McDaniels is kind of closer to the basket Kent is expanding a little bit on his range love McDaniels by the way and then Ant is the next superstar parent. And, and D'Angelo Russell, his best ability is on the offensive side, right? So if you're considering everything as right. a total like as a total unit, I think defensively is the biggest concern. Like, do you use Cat as like a free safety on defense and hope that Rudy Gobert can cover everything up? Like that, that's where I'm at. That's what you have to do. Um, you're you're essentially putting Carl Anthony Towns on on the weak link in, in the team's opposing offense, right? You're hoping you can kind of camp out in the corner. And you can leave everything else to Rudy Gobert playing drop, protecting the rim. And then Anthony Edwards and Jane McDaniels, you know, containing the penetration everywhere else. The other leaky valve, though, is D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo yep. Russell has to be better on the defensive side of the ball because it's, it's D'Lo, Jordan McLaughlin, Austin Rivers, Bryn Forbes, Jalen Noel. Those are your other guards in, 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 in the rotation. None of those guys nope. are defensive stoppers. There is no more Pat Bev. To, to bail out that guard spot no, defensively. No more, no so, more Jared Vanderbilt either, who could do no, some stuff on the perimeter defensively. No Man, more Jared Vanderbilt Vandy. either. So mm. the good news is, is I do think Edwards and McDaniels are enough to better contain some of those guys from sneaking into the paint and always challenging Rudy or bringing Rudy out everywhere else. It's, it's different than what he had in Utah. But usually you do not want to have a lineup if you're trying to win in the western conference finals and in the nba finals you usually don't want to line up where you're that deficient defensively at two positions so they have to figure out a way to balance both the d'angelo russell and carl anthony towns because you need both of those guys in the lineup to really make them as yeah. potent offensively as they're going to be because Jaden mcdaniels brett you i mean all three of us i should say we all like Jaden McDaniels. Sure. He has to keep being yeah. a corner three-point shooter. He's got to play that role in floor spacing for that team and then be the transition forward that he can be. But 
they need D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns to be there offensively to really make this team potent with Rudy Gobert, not being the offensive dominant center that, that we, that he should probably be able to be given where he is right now in the NBA. I think he's going to be more aggressive. He already looks better, at least in the preseason with the improved spacing around him with yeah. some of these guys. But yeah, to, to, to your point, Brett, to your question at defensively is where I'm more concerned because they don't have, three other stoppers on the perimeter. Carl Anthony Towns, to Stevens' point, he's going to have to be involved in the perimeter in some way, shape, or form. You can't just have him camp out right. all the time. Teams are going to hunt for him in matchups. And what what's Towns going to do about it? Is he going to let himself be the hunted, or is he going to be a little bit of the hunter? Are we going to see a different Carl Anthony Towns to an extent? Who knows? He's yeah. got to be a LeBron block specialist. Like, <laughs> let him yeah. go by and hope that he can chase it down. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you guys for sure. I think the the defensive side of the ball is where the, the greater concern lies. Um, I, I, offensively, I'm not worried about it at all. I think it actually makes a ton of sense. Like, I think Cat's going to be shooting a ton of three-pointers, which mm -hmm. is what he wants to do. I'm sure he's more than happy to shoot eight three-pointers a game. And then you've got Gobert, you know, screening and rolling with either D'Angelo or maybe Anthony Edwards. Maybe we'll see some of that. And so, like, I think, you know, like, like his his threat as a as a diver is going to open up cat on the perimeter and cat's threat as a perimeter shooter is going to open up for gobert as a diver so like i think as a pairing they do make a lot of sense offensively um especially with the, with those guards and uh yeah mcdaniel's shooting from the corners is going to be huge he'll have plenty of looks apparently he's been shooting it really well and in, in training camp i don't know what his numbers have looked like in these preseason games really but i, I think he's He's always been a pretty good shooter, and I think he's he's going to take a leap in that regard this season. And then, yeah, defensively, it's like the hope would be that maybe Cat actually looks a little better next to um, Gobert, like maybe as kind of a, a weak side rim protector, as a, you know, kind of like what the Celtics did with Robert Williams at times, maybe like yeah. you were saying, like where you put him on like a weaker guy and just kind of let him roam a little bit uh, and be that kind of weak side help, like, you know, maybe in that role, um, he could actually look better at times than he has in the past as like a guy that's been almost asked to be like a defensive anchor when that's not who he is. But at the same time, like it's, it's inevitable that he's going to get pulled out to the perimeter. Um, he's going to get hunted by quicker players at times. And, but then that's where it's like, yeah, is, is having Gobert behind him, like you said, enough to where that's not a huge issue where Gobert can clean up. Yeah, mistakes better than anybody. And right they now. got Nas Reed. They can stagger minutes. Like, yeah, there's, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've got some some fun options they can go with. Like, it doesn't always have to be those two on yeah. the court. Like, maybe they only share the court for, you know, 18 minutes a game, whatever it ends up being. Um, They could do quite a bit of staggering. That's going to be fun. Definitely one of the teams I'll be be uh, paying a lot of attention to this season. Um, Let's go to another team that projects to be pretty good in the Western Conference, and that is the Denver Nuggets. Oh, Okay. Yeah, what question seed, we got, Brett? Six seed last season. They're getting uh, they're getting MPJ back healthy and, and Jamal Murray back healthy. And my question is simple: Is this going to be the best offense in the NBA? Would you would they be your pick to be the number one offense in the NBA? If you look at the last season that that Jokic, Porter, and Murray all were healthy playing together, the three of them. Uh, I think in about 1500 possessions had like a 127 offensive rating, like a plus 16 differential. And then when you add Aaron Gordon into that mix for the small sample that those four played together, believe it or not, those numbers go up to like a 128 and like a plus 18, something along those lines. So they've proven to be unbelievably potent offensively when they're on the court together. They're all healthy right now. Um, is this the best offense in basketball? Because I'll just answer my own question right away. I think it is. What do you yes. guys think? 
That not yeah. not only do I think it's one of the best offenses in basketball, I think this is the best two-way team the Nuggets have had mm. in, in this kind of Jokic Jamal Murray era. I think the the Contavious Caldwell Pope edition was huge. Yeah. Right. He's he is a legitimate corner spacer, but also somebody who you don't have to worry about him on the defensive end. For all we want to talk about MPJ and his defensive deficiencies. I think he has shown improvement since his days in the bubble. He's been a better defender when he's been on the court. Now he's coming back. He's got to sort of regain more of that mobility. If he's healthy, I think he's going to be better there. We know what he is offensively. I think Jamal Murray isn't a bad defender at the guard spot. I wouldn't say he's great, but I certainly don't think he's bad. Jokic, say what you want about Jokic. He he is good defensively. He, oh, he yeah. is good. He's not He's not bad. And then we know what Aaron Gordon is on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, it's going to be a lot of the same stuff. It's going to be Jokic running the show. It's going to be the DHL offense with Jamal Murray. You're going to have KCP and Michael Porter Jr. spacing out. You have two. I talked about with Detroit, two really, really, really good corner spacers that just open up that offense even more for, you guessed it, Aaron Gordon to just do whatever he wants, getting downhill, going to the basket, being a lob guy with Jokic, running some of those inverted pick and rolls. That's that's what we want to see. We want to see wide open spacing for Jokic to be able to pass and find whoever's open. And then, oh, by the way, coming off the bench, Bruce Brown, speaking of inverted pick and rolls, a lot of fun right there. You got Bones Highland coming off the Mm. bench. Jeff Green's still a shooter for you. Najee's getting some good buzz in Mm, camp. He can shoot it as a big man. They have shooting everywhere. They have cutting everywhere. Christian Brown's also another example of the young guys. Looking good. Can bring both of those things. Look, yeah, it looked real good the other night. Yeah. Yeah, Brad, if these guys are healthy, this is they're, they're going to be a threat to finish with the best record in the NBA. And we talked about that last night. If, if that's the case, Jokic could pick up another freaking MVP. How do you not give it knows? to him? How would you but, not give it to him if they are the best record in the NBA? And, he, and he's still putting up those numbers. It's like this is you almost have to, right? This is crazy. This is the best team that I think he's had. What about I you, think Steven? So too. I, it's really hard for me to always like to go with yes for any of these types of questions because I think that Philadelphia might have them rivaled in, in terms of like best offensive in in the NBA. Like they, it it it's all contingent upon James Harden, right? Really buying into potentially being a third banana on this team. Um, but I think the edge does have to go to Denver because it's a cohesive unit. Like they're all bought in. Like Mike Malone preaches the same message to everyone, no matter who's on this team. KCP is going to be bought in on being one of the best teams in the Western Conference yet again. Do uh, you got Bowen Highland, who I think could rival some for a six man of the year candidate, depending on how big his role is going to be. Um, he could play next to Jamal Murray, which is another facet on this team that, you could have several multi-guard lineups and multi-forward lineups, and you could have Nikola Jokovic setting the, setting the table for everybody. So I just think that the unique advantage that he gives your offense, as great as he is defensively, Nathan, I'm right there with you. I think that he's an unsung hero on that side of the ball. But the unique perspective and advantage that he gives your offense that is so hard for NBA teams to stop, like you can't be constructed for Nikola Jokic defensively or you'll suffer throughout the rest of the year because there's not another team that that does what they do um, at that position. So I just think that it's so unique and dynamic, the the shooting, cutting, versatility, self-creation out of multiple aspects. It's just going to be really hard for any team to replicate that. So I'm with you guys. I think that they should be the best or should be the favorite for being the best offense in the NBA. I think they've surrounded, like it feels like they've surrounded Jokic with the perfect 
ingredients, like the perfect combination of players. When you think about, you know, the cutting of like Aaron Gordon and, and Bruce Brown, and then the Michael Porter Jr. is probably like a top five, six shooter when he's healthy. And then Jamal Murray, like you said, the creation and like KCP is another high end outside shooter. Like they put the perfect pieces around him. Zeke Najee's pairs really well with Jokic with the way that he can space the floor. So yeah, they're going to be beautiful to watch. That offense is going to hum. I just hope they can stay healthy, but they're, uh, yeah. One yeah, of the I wouldn't best blame teams in the for, NBA, man. Yeah, no, they're they're going to be awesome. So yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page with that. I think. Uh, and then let's see, who do we got left? We've got uh, my Oklahoma City Thunder. I was going to say, oh, mm. oh, wait, Brett, Brett's favorite team in this whole division. <laughs> let's go. Okay, with the Thunder, I then. see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh no! Now I see ah, what you did there. That, hey, okay, I'm glad. That took, I, I was feeling real dumb for a second. Sorry. It took me a second. Um. But uh, all right, this will be another another kind of young young guy question because another guy that has really, really, really caught my eye in the preseason, I know I speak for a lot of people in saying this, is Usman Jang. He, he has been eye-opening to say the least. Um, just the sheer size of him pops. Like it's, if you, you know, I think he he's listed at, I think he's listed at 6'10", but like he almost looks bigger than that. I think, he's, I think he's, he's, I think he's really 6'11". Yeah, because I've seen him standing next to like Baisley and guys like that. And it's like, he's on another level. He's a big dude. And the, the he's so fluid in the way he moves. Um, the way he handles the ball at that size has been really impressive. His shot looks really natural and smooth. Like that's that looks better than I expected it to. Showing a little bit of playmaking defensively on ball. He's had some really impressive possessions. Um, but what did you guys think of Jang like as a prospect before the NBA? What do you think of him now? Because he was a guy I saw him at summer league up close. And for some reason, the size didn't pop the same way. I don't know if he's grown since then or filled out a little bit or just he's learning to use his size more or what, but it didn't pop the same way. And, um, and just watching him, I was like, this guy might be like two years away from being two years away. Like he didn't look, he did not impress me at summer league. Now I see him and I'm almost as high on him as like, anybody outside like Shaden and the main guys in Tari in this class like but I think he's got even high, a higher level of upside than someone like Tari like I I see a lot there but again I haven't seen that much of this kid just a little bit last season and then what I've seen in the in the preseason but he's he's promising man in, in my opinion what do you guys think about him I I had Jang in in a starters level tier on my board so I had him in a tier three I had him as 15 as a number ranking on my board but I had him in tier three Steven, we, we talked about him a bunch before yeah. the draft. And I think my consensus was there was enough there to where he has legitimate star upside. Like I used like a, a, a brutally high end comp for him to be like a Paul George type of player. Cause that's yeah. the type of upside that he has just being able to do everything on the offensive end. We know the type of shooter that he is already. He's a, a pretty decent pick and roll playmaker already at his age and at his size that that's very unique for him to possess and then defensively I think he's actually good defensively it's just he makes some mistakes and there's some players and and, and play types that he just can't guard well enough yet because his body needs to fill out more and that that's what I came back to is if he continues to fill out and get stronger and everything works out for him physically, I think he's going to have more confidence getting downhill and stop settling for some of those mid-range shots. I think he's going to get to the basket, draw fouls, get to the free throw line, rack up a good percentage and, and, and a good amount of points there. And then defensively, he's going to find his footing as he gets bigger and stronger and he can settle in and be able to guard more of those threes slash fours for that combo forward role that he's likely to play in the NBA 
probably pretty similar to the the, the type of role that Jaden McDaniels plays for the Timberwolves. I don't think he's going to be that good defensively, but in terms of like a similar role and the type of ground he could cover, that's the type of player that I could see Jang being. And if all of those ingredients come together, which again, I think ties more to the physical attributes. Yeah. That's one hell of a player. for Oklahoma well, but On City, that man. note though, do you, don't you agree that his frame, like doesn't he look like he has the kind of frame that could put on weight? I think he's going to fill like, out, man. I fill out nicely. Like he, yep. you know how some guys like Giannis, like Giannis had that frame where like he was able to put on 40, 50 pounds, whatever he did <laughs> and not really yeah. lose anything athletically. He's like, it's like, it, it builds on proportionately. But then you look at somebody like Anthony Davis and his frame and he puts on 30, 40 pounds and it really hurts his movement as a player. I think we saw that last year. So like, I think frame is a big thing to consider. And like when I see him, I'm like, that kid's got a good frame. Like he he's got a lot of filling out to do, but he's gonna he's gonna carry it well. So so Jang by year three or year four could be an NBA starter. And if that happens, the Thunder all of a sudden are gonna have like a log jam at some of these positions. I don't know what's gonna happen, but yeah, that that's his upside to me is like an NBA starter. There's there's that slim Paul George star type chance, but starter, yeah. Yeah, so. I called up my latest big board and I probably would have had him higher had I been able to finish out the the scouting process before I had to go on my journey. But even looking at it now, I had him 23rd and I'm looking at the names that I have rated ahead of him. And I, I, I don't feel like remorse or regretful about it. I think 23 was a really fair place to put him because it's a tale of two halves for that young man. Like the first half of his season for the NBL, like I was ready to write him off. Like, yeah, I, I he was he was not he fun to rough. watch. Like yeah. he was not fun to watch at all. And I was a big fan of Hugo Basson like all year long. So I kept watching them specifically for Hugo. But if you watch the second half of the year, you started seeing like what everyone was so high on this young man on, and like the preseason evaluation of him. It's one of those things, Nathan, that like as as evaluators, we got to learn that like even though that some players might slip through the cracks depending on their situation and depending on like you know, change in talent level of, or role responsibility, what have you, like, sometimes, like, we do need to remember what the preseason expectations for these guys were and, like, what led to the hype of them being that high in the first place. I just, I don't know. I look at where I have them. I don't, like, I'm not going to bother to read all the names ahead of them, but I don't feel bad about the, the names that I have a, that I have ahead of them. But I think that Oklahoma City got a potential steal in, in a player for Ushman who's given the opportunity to show and grow and develop. And Nathan, we talk about this all the time is like, you can have all the potential in the world, but if you don't see the floor, it's going to be hard to actualize. And they I think had a great Ushman, draft. they had a great yeah. draft. And I think that Ushman's in the perfect ecosystem where there's not pressure, but there's opportunity and he gets a chance to grow along with some other very intriguing prospects. So I, I like what I'm seeing out of him. Oklahoma city fans should be pleased. And they're, they're very excited the, about him. I can tell you this, that for sure. He's, 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 they're very excited about, about he has a chance to be like a really solid like third fourth man on any on a really good nba team like that's what i'm envisioning for him i just can't believe how ready how much more i shouldn't say he's ready by by any stretch but how much more ready he is because i i you know i did watch some of some of him last season because he's just the type of player i tend to be drawn to and um he looked he looked a ways away and then even at preseason again or at the summer league it was kind of more of the same like ah he's he he maybe someday and now i'm seeing him in preseason and it's like he's developing quick um he's learning quick 
And yeah, defensively, a lot of it is just kind of the awareness, the intelligence, the stuff that he could, you know, that, that you get better at just by playing NBA basketball. But even on that side of the ball, where I know he's been kind of criticized, like some of the man-to-man, some of the on-ball defense has been pretty impressive the way he's just resisted guys trying to get get by him or through him into the lane for a like, rookie for, for a rookie. yeah exactly yeah. there's for promise yeah yeah i don't know how many minutes he's going to get this year like you said it's kind of a log jam but he's he's on the thunder man he's going to get some opportunity and i think he's he's already earned that for sure absolutely that was that was a fun way to to certainly end this podcast and we did it guys 30 All questions right. for 30 nba teams yeah. two parts you can listen to both parts of this series on the draft deeper podcast feed wherever you get your podcast apple podcast spotify youtube make sure you're following me on twitter at draft deeper make sure you're following steven on twitter at steven g hoops and make sure you're following brett on twitter at usher nba and also following the overstated on twitter and make sure you're subscribed to the overstated nba show brett and steve are going to be pumping out content all year long if you liked what we talked about today you're going to love their podcast. So make sure you're subscribed and go ahead and check it out. So thank you all again for the support you've shown us at No Ceilings, at Draft Deeper, at The Overstated. We love doing this. We can't wait. But until next year, until really, I should say for Steven and I, the next podcast, thank you all for listening. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Much love, y'all. Thank you guys for having me on.